learning about movies. Learning about movies. Learning about movies. Spoiler alerts. Uh, Frodo throws the ring into the volcano. <laughs> Welcome to Syndication, the only podcast that's gone there and back again. Kings, wizards, and mm. pipeweed smoking halflings. This episode, we sing tavern songs about the 2001 through 2003 fantasy trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. All Ooh. three of them. The extended cuts. <sighs> it's going to be <laughs> a lot of movie. <laughs> it's a lot of movie. Uh, I'm your host, Tyler Young, and uh, full crew this episode, plus uh, a special guest. Plus extra. Guest episode. Yeah. Guest episode. It's a guest episode. <laughs> it's a mega sode. So I feel like this is going to go long. <laughs> yeah, bu- yeah. Buckle in. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Who are, uh, who are you? Yeah, that's me. Uh, I am Devin Ellis. And I'm part of the, the OG crew. Right. We got, we got more people. <laughs> Matt, why don't you go? I'm Matt Gamgee. Oh, there you go. Gamgee. Yeah. Keep it classic. Yeah. You know? I'm Jackie. I'm Matt's wife. <laughs> i'm i'm stephen howard i'm our guest hey. expert guest that's a new voice expert guest yeah. expert expert right. probably an exaggeration we had to bring in a specialist for this one yeah you are i will say when we so we've been talking about having more guests last time that we tried to have a guest she just became our fourth co-host so <laughs> You know, who knows how this is going to go. Um, I think five people but, was... There weren't he's five so hobbits, excited, right? guys. Think... He's jumping around. The listeners can't see that, but we can. <laughs> but we, we were talking about trying to do guests, and Jackie picked this movie, and you know more random, annoying Tolkien lore than anybody else that I've ever met in my entire life, so we thought you would be perfect. I also know a lot about the making of these movies. That's, oh, that's true. That's, you, that's were, you were the biggest Lord of the Rings nerd I know. Which is I I know other Lord of the Rings nerds so, which is great. I, I'm I'm really relying on you, Stephen, and the other like I know Matt and Devin know the movies a lot better than I do, right? And and mm. the books. So I know Stephen and I have mm-hmm. read the books. Has anybody else ever read through the full series? I mm-hmm. didn't get through them all. Oh, yeah. you tried? I know to? the Hobbit front and back, but right. I didn't get through the Lord of the Rings. Hobbit's a fun read. Yeah, it uh, is. Fellowship of the Ring is pretty good. Two Towers is. That's yeah. slog, man. That's where That's I stopped I halfway through yeah. Two Towers, and I know up out of there. Yeah, the structure of that book, because of the way he splits it with the characters, and you don't know what's going on in the other half of the book, you get a lot of payoffs for that later because right. there's surprises, but you get none of those payoffs <laughs> in the actual context of the Two Towers. Yeah, it's like a hundred pages of them running across the plains, if I remember. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. Tolkien really wanted to drive home how miserable Sam and Frodo were. <laughs> <laughs> By making you um, miserable as the reader. I can appreciate it. Order the Phoenix fans. <laughs> but we can't. Let's let's stay a little folk. Babe, yeah, we'll, we'll you, dig into it. <laughs> you picked these movies, all three of the extended versions. What were your, what did you know about them? What were your expectations? And I know this because we watched them together, but what was your sort of reaction to them? Yeah. I mean, this podcast has revealed that when everyone else was having a normal childhood watching movies. I think I was probably being forced to study math. So I, there are just huge gaps in my, um, in the films that I've seen and my knowledge of film and my appreciation of film. My dad used to say he didn't like movies. So that being said, I do remember my sister being kind of, 
Stephen's face. <laughs> <laughs> I hate fun. Jack's dead. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the, I, my sister watched these. I have a vague memory of of her watching these and really enjoying them. But for me, they didn't really spark an interest when I was a kid, and I didn't have the stamina back then to make it through a full two hours sitting still. Um, and I still struggle with that, but I'm a little bit better. Um, so this so is how, just a, how is twelve a huge, hours? Yeah, 12, yeah. I mean, yeah. We actually mostly due to Jackie's desire powered through all three of these in two days. We did in yeah. two days. In two days. In two mm. days. You did two See, in one day. We watched a movie and a half on a Friday night, and yeah. we woke up the next Saturday morning, went out, got donuts, and came back and finished the other Jeez. two. Wow! That was awesome. Just powered right through them. What type of donuts? Dunkin' Donuts? No. Crispy Kreme? No, we are not slumming around with that. Okay, wow. Donut elitism has entered shit. It's not even that. Why would we go to Dunkin' when we can go to an independent donut shop? And and like, they're all teenagers working there in high school. And it's great. Mr. Yo's, they have a drive through. It's awesome. Oh, God. Speaking of which, Devin, have you gone to Blackbird uh, Bakery right down the street for donuts? (laughs) The donuts are fantastic. But the bagels are just donuts with like bagel toppings and cream cheese. It's the fucking worst. Yeah, it's just donuts with like sesame seeds on it. Yeah, no, that's disgusting. Their s'mores donut at Blackbird, best one. Yeah, it has a toasted right, marshmallow that. cream on the inside. So, so the point is, Jackie, you loved these movies, right? <laughs> I, I know, I really movies. liked them, and I, I had a conversation <laughs> with kind of an elite music friend of mine who was saying oh, you finally watched them. How And I was like, oh, I thought it was really good. And they were like, but as a musician, how can you watch that and tolerate the score? It's so terrible. And I mean, this person's a smile really? anyway. But yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I, I have some, definitely have some thoughts on the soundtrack, which if I wasn't, if I weren't listening as a musician, I probably, I mean, I really, I wasn't watching these movies to listen to the score, right? So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. I barely noticed it at points. Um, but if I, I went back and took a more critical listen and I, I think, I've got some more nuanced reactions to that, but apparently, you know, I, I didn't expect that kind of reaction because I, I thought these movies were so well loved and universally well liked and, and sort of very relevant to pop culture. So I was surprised that, you know, anyone could object to them, but I, I did really enjoy them. And I can't believe I am 32 years old and have only, I mean, I've downloaded the books to my Kindle. I'm really excited to read them. And I guess that's my oh, one nice. regret, mm-hmm. but I always try to read the book first and, and it was my turn to pick and I really wanted to see these and I thought everyone would enjoy it. So, but I, I wish I'd read the books first, but yeah, I enjoyed them. And I will say as, as the person who watched them with you, you came in with almost no plot knowledge. I was lost from the I, board go. I made you stop like five minutes and I was like, what are all these rings about? And I, <laughs> I texted when I figured out how little plot knowledge you had, I texted uh, Devin and Tyler and said nobody tell Jackie what happens in these movies. Oh, so, that was like, so fun. When Gandalf fell <laughs> at like, the end of the fellowship. Blimey, you fools. You thought right he was dead. Right it was crazy. It was great. Yeah, that text was great. You're like, don't tell Jackie that Gandalf comes back. Yeah. I'm done watching these movies. This is horseshit. <laughs> yeah. I know. Isn't that terrible? And he never comes back. It's such oh, a yeah. tragic ending for that character. So sad. Wow. I, I, it was really funny because you kept looking at me and you went, he's not dead. And I was like, he just fell. And uh, the way I kept getting around is I said, Gandalf the Grey is gone. <laughs> Which is technically true. Semantic technically bastard. true. 
<laughs> yeah, um, that was that that broke my spirit. I will say, I I haven't gotten that invested in something. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the day when you killed two PCs in our Dungeons and Dragons group, and Ferric Lagrange saved the day mm. with a nat twenty Eldritch Blast. Mm. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really relatable anecdote for all of our <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah, is <laughs> our home D and D campaign from five years ago. Uh, no offense, but this material seems pretty specific to your apartment. I don't think it'll work at an open mic. Y'all ever notice the difference between me and Troy brushing our teeth? That one time we all played D&D. Did you know? Did you know? That's a relevant anecdote for people even on this podcast. <laughs> oh. By that I mean I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> I like that our first did you know was from uh, from the guest. That's awesome, Woo! you know. Yeah. yeah. I've been briefed. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you listened to any episodes before before showing up? Not that you have to, you're not gonna hurt our feelings. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, I also, I like how this evolved from Jackie just being like, I'm going to pick the, the Fellowship of the Ring. And then we're like, well, I guess we might as well do the extended cut. And they were like, well, I guess we'll do all three That was cuts. you all. <laughs> I said, let's watch one of them. And then you were like, we're doing all three. And it was like, we're doing all three? Yeah, yeah you're yeah. like, oh, I just want to watch the Lord of the Rings, right? Good pick, like, Jackie. Okay, but strap in. It's a, it's a whole deal. Did Connor, you know? I like how you have horns, by the way. Anyway, did you know? Did you know? Thank you. Tolkien actually wanted to publish all three of them at the same time. Oh, and I didn't know that. He, so originally, he wrote The Hobbit. It was a success. They're like, can you give me a sequel to The Hobbit? And those of you who've read The Hobbit and The, the Lord of the Rings know tonally, they're very different books, hmm. both syntactically and just kind of the way he structures them. Uh, when he delivered essentially an 1,100-page manuscript in response to a children's <laughs> book that was wildly different in structure and format and tone. He was even doing things that people didn't traditionally do, such as with going back to the Two Towers conversation, splitting the narratives without kind of jumping around or jumping back and forth. And they were just like, what is this? We cannot publish this. <laughs> uh, so they made him split it into three. He hadn't actually finished all the books yet, but he did have to split it into three at the time. Uh, he didn't want to give them titles either. They made him give each one titles, and he specifically was uh, very against The Return of the King because he yeah. decided that gave away I mean, the plot. Yeah, it's a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right there on the tin. And he never clarified uh, what the two towers, which two towers he right. was talking about, which I think is interesting as well. We were actually wondering that. We were trying to have yeah. to, trying to figure that out uh, when we were watching the movie because I don't remember that ever being. The movie does kind of have a moment where I can't remember if it's Gandalf or, or, or who it was, but they it's, do call it's Saruman talking to Sauron. Okay, um, they do kind of say like, "Yeah, the power of Orthanc and and Bear drew together," and that was yeah. the movie makers. That was Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philip Boyan being like, you know. The audience is going to ask what the two towers are, and there's like four towers in this movie, so we should probably we should just clarify. We should we have to pick two of them, right? Didn't they do a couple of shots too, like in the movies where they showed the two towers and like, look, these are the two towers we're talking about, right? Well, the problem is the two Am towers are so far apart from one another that you couldn't really get them into a shot. No, at least not why, that I remember. That's why they're always putting maps in those movies. Yeah, <laughs> I like that they look like the maps from the original books too, mm -hmm. that same style. All right, so we gotta we gotta have a strategy here. Does anybody have 
big topics that they want to cover. So I was thinking we could talk about adaptation, right? Like how we feel that uh, the filmmaking team did adapting original source to movies. I think it's a good topic. Yeah, I think the people who read the books are probably going to be able to speak to that more than anyone else. I can speak to The Hobbit, but that's not what we watched here. I guess this is mostly a conversation (laughs) between Stephen and I. Um, As a a teenager, I loved these movies. And Mm. the more that you Mm. could give me, the happier I was, right? Like, I wanted all of it. Rewatching them, because it's probably been, I don't know, maybe 10 years since I watched them all the way through, all three of them. I saw these in theaters. Me too. There is a lot, especially the extended stuff that they put back in, that is Mm. like... I, as a fan of Lord of the Rings, enjoyed it, but as a moviegoer, I'm like, this seems a little indulgent. It, uh, indulgent um, was the word I was thinking, too, and I think Peter Jackson got, gets himself into trouble with that in mm-hmm. other trilogy movies. <laughs> such yep. as? Sorry, such as? E- even, even, this is a topic that I wanted to talk about when we were doing ratings, especially, because I did go back and watch them. Everybody's favorite is Return of the King. At least right. I think mm-hmm. it was in 2003. And I actually think the extended edition of The Return of the King is my least favorite movie. As a Tolkien fan, as a, as a kid who did grow up listening to the soundtrack when he went to bed, uh, reading the books, rereading the books, playing any video game that came out of them, you know, just couldn't consume enough of that content. As a 33-year-old man, uh, yeah, almost everything that they had cut out of Return of the King, barring like The Mouth of Sauron and... Uh, Saruman's death, I agreed with them cutting in yeah. in retrospect. I don't right. think, again, as someone who loved it, it was borderline a slog. When you yeah. hit the five-hour mark, yeah. and yeah. you know that an hour and 20 minutes of that was, if I wanted, I, I guess if I wanted that extra detail, I would have read the book. How much stuff from the books is not in the movies? A percentage? Depends oh, on which movie, I'd say. Yeah, Fellowship of the Ring leaves out a lot. Like 50%? Tom Bombadil is nowhere to be seen. The Barrow Whites, all that. Whites, the old yeah, the yeah. old forest. Uh, yeah, the journey from the Shire to Rivendell is roughly... I mean, they, they kind of like teleport debris, and then they like they walk through the swamps, and there's Weathertop, but they leave out that... There's a, there, that teleportation debris is a, is a couple mm-hmm. chapters they cut out. Yep. Uh, the march through... The Weather Hills and Weathertop and all of that. They leave out uh, the elves that like Frodo and Sam see that are walking by. They actually end up like spending the night with those guys and talking with right. them. No, they leave out a, a, a good deal of the Fellowship of the Ring while simultaneously pulling in the beginning of the two towers to kind of structure it a little bit better because there isn't a very good end to the return or to Fellowship of the Ring. But so if I had to give a percentage, which is what you asked for, I would say they probably cut out. 30 to 25 percent of the fellowship of the ring for the movie uh for the two towers it's it's hard to percentageize that because they literally take stuff from the two towers and put it in fellowship of the ring and they take stuff from the two towers and put it in return of the king and you're saying even with the extended cuts yeah Yeah. even with the extended cuts so i would actually say they leave out very very little and add i think the Fellowship of the Ring, they don't actually add that much. They kind of switch out characters a little bit. Like, for instance, they give getting Frodo to Rivendell to Arwen just because, like, Arwen's borderline not in the books. Mm. And you got to have a love interest. Okay. 
Yeah, that was. I was telling Jackie that when we were watching, because I think that was your favorite part was like the love story, right? I only liked it when I thought it was going to become a love triangle, and it yeah. was never that. <laughs> it was a little a love triangle in the because movies. he was attracted to her. Nothing happened. <laughs> she was she was attracted to him. Nothing did happen because he's Aragorn, <laughs> but. Uh, there was, a, he, you know, the way they set it up is that he wasn't actually sure he was ever going to see Arwen again because Arwen was Correct. supposed to be leaving with right. her dad. So it's like, hey, there's this blonde lady who is really into me. I felt like Arwen was not super developed in the movie, which this may be why. Most of Arwen's story comes from an appendix uh, yeah. called mm. a, a piece called Of Aragorn and Arwen, and they they that's mm. not in the actual book. Arwen, I mean, in the book itself, must have been like. 20, 20 sentences of Arwen in the entire book. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I, I don't mean I don't mean Fellowship of the Ring. I mean Lord right. of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. the entire All the stuff at the end, like the I think maybe the cringiest line of the entire movie series is when the Witch King says, "Like fool, I can be killed. No man can kill me." And she pulls off the helmet and goes, "I am no man." Oh yeah, stabs him in the face. I am no man. That's so Eowyn. bad. We're talking uh, about Arwen. Are we talking about Arwen? Eowyn, Arwen. God, how can you get those mixed? Aragorn. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Eowyn plays a much bigger role in the movies and the books because she played a bigger role in the books than Arwen. Has. Uh, yeah, we were talking about how Arwen is essentially completely uh, not in oh, the books. Oh, sorry. I thought we had switched back to Eowyn. That's my bad. <laughs> we can talk about I did Eowyn. not like Eowyn as a character, and I didn't understand why the she was a foil, a foil for Arwen. Why do you think they established her as a foil? I mean plot um and i mean no, no, no. They, like wh- where did you see them foil her i guess is what i'm saying i think or foil in them. some of the flashbacks that he had there was that i think it was in two towers when he had the encounter with aon and then would flash back to something with arwen and maybe happened once or twice uh i hadn't really thought about it that way so i, I didn't know if they were doing sort of a direct comparison and then also you know one one is this beautiful elf and tall and and brunette and and very elegant and the other one is sort of you know rough and ready blonde you know, definitely more petite. Um, and I, I, I see the appeal and I don't know if it was the actress who was just, I don't remember her name and I feel bad. Miranda Otto How, and Liv Tyler. Who are you? Oh my God. I mean, I know Liv Tyler for sure. <laughs> this oh is why Steven's sh- here, right? To... <laughs> Miranda Otto, I think is Australian. You should approach a college and just say, I want to teach a class on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I've already written the syllabus. Here's the curriculum. I mean, it's like in the movies, right? Eowyn... If I'm getting it right, I'm so bad with the characters' names. Awen's the blonde. Awen's the blonde. Yeah. Okay, so like she was, her character is basically to pull Aragorn to right. becoming king and leading people again, right? And not just being a rogue off doing his own shit, mm. right? Like to give him a sense of responsibility, like oh, do, like connect with people again. I think he and... had that sense of responsibility. He was just out of touch with humans, maybe. Well, yeah, I think they're just shoehorning in. A romance plot. They're just mm. trying to make spice think so? thing up. That's no, what I think. No, they're definitely. I. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. This is gonna no, get this deep. is this is gonna get deep. So uh, the book definitely. Uh, so yeah, Aragorn <laughs> grows up in Rivendell. Uh, he is the descendant of people who were. Uh, he's actually one of Elrond's brothers' descendants. Uh, way back at the end of the first age. There were two half-elf brothers born called Elrond and Elros. Um, one of them went on to found Numenor, which eventually becomes Gondor. He chose mm. men, and the other one, Elrond, chose to be an elf, and then he gets the immortality, and he has a child. Her name's Arwen. So, by the way, Aragorn and Arwen are super distantly related. Like, 
30 generations or something but just just know that she's like his great 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 aunt or no cousin anyways uh but uh aragorn spends almost his entire life uh with the dunedain who are the rangers but they're also descendant of this like elven sort of lineage they live with mm-hmm. the elves two of aragorn's closest friends are the sons of elrond so what i think tolkien was trying to do with eowyn because uh, there is even in the books there is clearly uh, an attachment and an affection it's not as overt as they make it in the movies like i don't believe they ever in the book have that ever conversation like i know what you want but i can't give it to you thing mm-hmm. it is but a shadow and a thought that you love I cannot give you what you seek. But it, she does kind of going off of what y'all were saying earlier is she does represent kind of a choice where he's moving back into human society and and being a leader yeah. of men as opposed to uh, and and you see like he doesn't really bond with any of the other humans. Yeah, mm. he really yeah. only bonds with Eowyn. He kind of Th- Theoden and him have kind of a relationship he has a, a better relationship with aomer in the book but they move aomer around in the movie so they really mm-hmm. don't i think even speak which one's the king theoden is theoden. the king of okay. rohan yeah he, he has a kind of the horse people. kinship with him a bit he, the horse people the horse people yeah yes. thanks babe <laughs> taking my bids since 2015 it's interesting that you saw it also as I think as a foil too, because I hadn't really seen it that way in the way they structured it, but maybe they did. But again, it is kind of Aragorn still attached to this elf life, and he needs to start <laughs> being attached to this human life. Mm. And he's a lot more like I'm going to go be king in the books than he is in the movie. But I think it's interesting. I I just hadn't thought about that foil attempt. Mm. I mean, I don't like the idea of women being used as foils for a male character's development, but like, I mean, here we are. It is what it is. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a a nice way of saying this. If you're reading Tolkien, you're lucky the female characters are are engaging. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of got that sense. Yeah, and they both do kind of have at least Eowyn has a interesting personality right she's you know she's got some foibles there you know and some shortcomings and some strength as well so i get that but yeah it is sort of very hero was that in the books too or did they did they do that for the movie no she kills she kills the witch king uh she secretly uh goes to the battle of pelinor fields against theoden and aomer's wishes um no she's uh her incarnation in the book and the movie are pretty similar. Mm. They f- they beefed her out a little bit um, because, to be frank, Tolkien's character sometimes can still seem a little cardboardy. Uh, so they took some of the yeah. actions she was committing and si- sort of worked those into dialogue and plot and that sort of stuff. But uh, she was pretty pretty accurate. They didn't really give or take anything away from her. Watching these movies, um, and just based on the way you said, you know, that Tolkien's characters are considered kind of cardboardy, maybe and I, I, by that, maybe you meant two dimensional, um, flimsy, whatever. I remember when I read um, a novel by Goethe for the first time in grad school, and I loved how epic it was. It was it was the first coming of age, a Bildungsroman, which is a coming of age story. It was considered um, uh, Wil- Wilhelm Meister's uh, Apprenticeship was the name of the novel, and it was considered the first coming of age uh, novel to be written. Um, in sort of a classical form and it was this long rambling story about how this guy just grew up and 
had misadventures and developed and had to change and fell in love and all this stuff happened to him. And at the end of the journey, he became a better person. But it's not that the characters are great, but there's something about that epic being able to really um, narrative, have a narrative hold an entire lifetime that mm. is was so appealing about the Goethe to me. And I, I sense from the way that people talk about Tolkien's writing is, is kind of this legendary, you know, greater than the sum of all its parts kind of, of man, you know, sort of manifestation of, of storytelling, that it's just really excellent storytelling, even if some of the mechanics or the technique aren't, you know, what people, what's to modern taste, let me just say. So I, I just wanted to draw that comparison. I don't know if anyone else has felt that way about other writers or other movies or things like this. Uh, no, I think uh, anybody, any Crichton fans on the, mm. if you've ever Was read Crichton, Jarvin? I think yeah. he's, yeah, I think he does a phenomenal job with like the plots. I think he does a phenomenal job with, or did, he, he is he is dead, did a phenomenal job with like the research he would put into like the scientific conceits that normally drove some of his books, but his character dialogue was some of the driest i only read uh, one book of his what's the one the one with like the nanobot swarm that goes swarm. Yeah, yeah swarm, swarm. okay <laughs> i read that one and i felt that way about it where i'm like this is really fascinating and interesting but like the characters the are kind of yeah. boring i couldn't tell you what any of them did or you know <laughs> anything stand out about them you know his most famous one jurassic park uh ian malcolm <laughs> is probably the only character who had like a discernible character in the book. And I think that's why he just shines in the movie. Cause Steven Spielberg didn't have to like fabricate. Yeah. Traits right, let's make something whole... out of this shit. Yeah. yeah. Didn't have to fabricate traits whole cloth to make him different than Alan Grant and, and Muldoon and stuff. But I'm, I'd also like to point out that I'm not saying that Tolkien's as bad as, as Crichton on, you know, wooden characters, Right. Uh, but I don't think he's recognized, you know, the heraldry that comes along with his name. I do not think is because people are like, did you get that snappy dialogue from Aragorn? Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even just the writing in general, I wouldn't say Tolkien. I, I would not that he's like a bad writer, but I, I don't think that I mean, he's known for world building. Right. Like huh. that right. is this the, is it. the this beginning is exactly and the it. end of. Yeah, of of what he's so famous for. It's like which he Ma Martin is known for his dialogue. Like that's if you want snappy dialogue. Yeah, there's there's no Jamie Lannisters in Lord of the Rings. Right, exactly. Right. The payoff of a story with a with a sort of a myth or a legend, I think, is the world building. I completely agree with you, Matthew. And and it's it's you know you can forgive a lot if you really can can lose yourself in another world if that's really convincing um but there i can think of the music of richard wagner is very much this way the sound world is incredible the productions can be amazing but you look at the words and you're like are these people farmers like this is supposed to be the height of of like classical expression and you all are talking like a bunch of hicks and like yeah. with these stupid rhymes and shit, but like you lose yourself in that, or some people do, I don't, but you know, these sort of like larger than life tales when the world is substantial that that's been created. I think that's exactly right. Okay. So w something else I, I had sort of had on my list that I wanted to talk about is, can I pause you real quick? Yeah, go for it. We never actually got all the percentages. So I'm going to give two towers a hundred percent. and I'm going to give return of the King. Like eighty five percent, and you have to give your percentages, and then you can continue. Oh, it's been twenty years since I read the books. I would not feel remotely okay. <laughs> I, I would trust you. So the scores were eighty five 
like essentially a hundred for Return of the King, or sorry, for Two Towers, and then about eighty-five for Return of the King. Oh my god! Yeah, so I I was yeah, um... yeah I do too. <laughs> <laughs> when again, like when I watched these movies when I was younger, I didn't have like a uh, like a like a like a directorial taste, mm. you know. And something I was sort of struck by rewatching this is like so for, for people who don't know, Peter Jackson was basically making like B horror movies in New Zealand. Yeah. And then somehow talked Ooh. New Line Cinema <laughs> into giving him millions of dollars to make this huge budget trilogy. And like, listen, he he knocked it out of the park. He did a great job. But like you totally see this like weird horror director in a lot of these shots. And mm. I was kind of like who in the world <laughs> decided especially with the every time it's like the the orcs and you're like killing an orc and they like do a zoom in shot of a, a head flying off or something yeah or... lots of lots of like dutch angle yeah. moving mm-hmm. hand cam and kind of remind me of like sam raimi stuff yeah know? i just i thought it was kind of crazy rewatching it to be fair though the monsters in this movie are great fantastic they, they are but They're you like... but i to go with what matt was saying he is he was in it yeah. When it came to those monsters, the yeah. orcs, the orcs in the books are not described. I mean, like every one of the orcs in the movie looks completely different because yeah. they all have their own unique, dis, you know, yeah, screwed up faces and eyes and mouths. It looks so good. Oh, I know. Yeah. Super, and super that's impressive. that's that is just Peter Jackson being a horror movie just maker. Just loving it, yeah. right? Just wanting to go yeah. all in. I want each one of these non-important characters to have personalities yeah. and separate. Like the, like like... the Weasley ones, they're like scurrying yeah. around mm-hmm. and they have mm-hmm. higher pitched voices and pointy faces. And... I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meat? What about them? fresh. Uh, speaking of fucked up orcs that, um... Forks, is what we call them. I saw your mother yesterday! No, I'm just teasing. I, I mean, Stephen, fact check me on this, but I believe the, like, fucked up orc uh, general that's in the final attack on Gondor is a, is a movie creation? No, he's not a movie creation. Yeah, he knows he actually is a real character that that's shows up stupid. in the books. He is greatly <laughs> expanded. Okay. Uh, his name, I believe, was Gothmog. Um, he's Gothmog. named after a balrog i want to say from the first age uh all we all we know i think if i remember correctly from the books is that like he was one of the orcs leading something he's but yeah he's a much expanded character they do not mention his fungal face deformity (laughs) in the book i think and, and i think it works really nicely to have like a pov on the on the orc side of like those sieges he yeah. did that in uh fellowship of the ring Two. uh the mm-hmm. character of alerts which is the big bad urukai that's a yeah. complete mm-hmm. fabrication uh and you'll notice he also doesn't put a helmet on alerts <laughs> just so that that guy stands out from the other ones and so that there is some sort of characterization because just being chased by faceless enemies yes can, can have a thematic element to it uh but then when that faceless army has to kill one of your leads yeah. r.i.p r.i.p sean bean uh maybe give him a name <laughs> yeah like you want that gremlin with the mohawk to like pick him apart like that's the one to follow right there yeah you yeah. know yeah. that that bad one then me with the scar or the cauliflower head in this case yeah got about the legs yeah <laughs> they don't need those that's the sort of adaptational or, or or writing tricks that they did in these movies that i think work so well 
is it seems like they did a really effective job about thinking, you know, what they included and what they left out. Like, you can debate that stuff. And I do think a lot of it's indulgent. But when they have decided to include something, I think they do a pretty good job of saying, like, how do we get the audience and emotional in into this, right? How do we cinemize it as opposed to it just having been this, you know, like in the book, they are just chased by orcs and it works because you're like inside the character's heads, right? That's the nice thing about omniscient narration. Yeah, Yeah. being pursued is scary. Right. And you know that the character, like you can see, you know, you read their thoughts as opposed to in a movie, like I think it really helps. It's just people running. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Legolas always looking off in the distance like something is coming. And knowing something. The orcs are to the east. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so yeah. dumb. I've said this, I said this a couple times when we were watching the movie. I was like, the, the elves are kind of overpowered in the Tolkienverse. Right. Oh That's exactly God, what yeah. Matthew said. They're totally OP. They just know shit all the but, time. Yeah. yeah, But they have a really low birth rate. So sure. when one of them dies, it's a huge fucking deal for oh, their society. I didn't know that. Yeah, They're you portrayed... Know you, you go, Jackie. No, I want you to go. Because I was going to say something really asinine. So I'd rather you talk. No, I want Jackie to say it. <laughs> I was gonna say it's it's interesting. Uh, they actually kind of recharacterize the uh, the elves a little bit different in the movies too. If we're gonna talk really? about them, yeah. as in the books, they're al- so the elves are yeah they're you know friggin' Legolas riding oh shields God, and trunks and oh. uh, if you if you watch the Hobbit trilogy, then he begins to defy the laws of gravity by <laughs> oh jumping God. up steps that are actually falling in midair. Oh my God! Those so movies. yeah, so they definitely overhyped what the elves could do but they also gave them a much more somber kind of morose personality yeah. whereas uh, i mentioned this earlier frodo and sam see those elves in the woods uh when they're leaving the shire and one of the guys name is gildor and uh they actually end up like camping with them for the night or whatever and the elves are like cracking jokes and, and teasing the hobbits and and singing and laughing and stuff and you know you see huh. absolutely none of that in the movies they're all like quietly yeah moving through forests and they're sad and then if they actually do have to fight they're murdering everything around them and they're you just i think that kind of makes sense too if you've if you've been around for that long and you're seeing that much warfare and fighting and your society is deciding like we're just gonna leave like i feel like yeah they would be pretty morose as you were saying that that's kind of like a complex that happens to some hero characters right that are just so overpowered that they kind of detach from humanity yeah i was thinking of um dr manhattan from, that's what i was trying to think of yeah yeah from watchmen who just yeah becomes like an actual superman like a god and then mm. over time starts losing his humanity and forgetting what it's like to be human and starts like doing things like he'll take someone to mars to show him something cool and forgets like oh you need oxygen <laughs> you know that kind of detachment i think right. like elves would get to that point too you know after thousands of years of just being kind of like above everybody else and kind of like seeing the world from uh that kind of point of view you right, start to gonna... get depressed i think oh, we're God. gonna we're gonna get even deeper Are let's you do ready? it let's do it yeah let's do it. the elves i love this don't so there is some elitism amongst the elves and the men but uh for elves obvious capacities but both of those races were designed by like the god of the universe with their unique attributes and it's hard for i think us to grasp and if you don't know the full mythology it's also kind of difficult to to see but there's there's an envy that the elves have for men mortality is actually a gift to them when the elves die they just go to valinor and then they're trapped in essentially 
a big house called the Halls of Mandos. They never get what? to leave Middle Earth. They're always there. And when men die, they actually they go elsewhere. They're they're actually free. So elves aren't detached maybe for the same reason of just being like ultra overpowered so much as that um and and they're not elitist towards men for you know that they live forever there's actually like a a level of envy that they have that men get to leave the planet when they die and elves are trapped there forever so there's that's i think where some of the sobriety comes from is imagine they're they're aware of their imprisonment too that they're always wow okay they know they yes. know. Of course they know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also <laughs> worth saying that like all the shit that Legolas gets up to in these movies is fabrication. Like, yeah, that's like the elves are not all taking down fucking Oliphants on their mm. own. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's Peter Jackson. Yeah, they're not yeah. walking death machines. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted cool Star Wars y scenes, you know? I loved that shit when I was younger, and rewatching them, they made me roll my eyes every <laughs> time. They should have yeah. stopped him sliding down the shield was 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 where it should have stopped. Yeah. Even that, that, that I think was... I I would have lived with it, but like yeah, some of the shit he gets up to in these movies. That that's some of that Peter Jackson B movie stuff, right? Yeah. Like... Yeah. And it's so corny, but like that's his, uh, what is it, the uh, lawnmower down the hallway scene that he did in that zombie movie? What was that zombie movie he made? Right, like, back that's in, right. Back Beautiful in Dead? That sounds right. I think he did one called Beautiful Dead. Yeah, there's there's like a famous scene from that movie where a, a character is walking down the hallway of zombies with the, a lawnmower on, just, and just like tearing them apart, and it's just a hallway full of blood. It's crazy. So yeah, so there's like scenes like that <laughs> in this and they they gave that guy like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I know to film three movies before if they before they knew if it was going to work. You know, <laughs> no what one I mean? had ever like, done anything like that before. Yeah, He'd never yeah. filmed the trilogy in one it, go. It is crazy to me that he got away with it, and that and that that bet, which like I I think was a crazy bet, knowing the what that they it knew, out. it paid off. Oh my How? god! Like, what well, are the he, chances? Uh, he did that movie Frighteners, right? He did Frighteners before this, right? I feel like yeah. maybe that gave him enough pedigree. Uh, like, okay, I think for I three hundred million dollars. Uh, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability, psychic investigator, to communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits. Emanations are normally confined at the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around. Although they do escape. <laughs> what was who's the who's the zombie guy? Romaro or Romano or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Romero. Yeah, Romero. He had a lot of successful horror movies. I'm not going to give him Star Wars. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And we're back. We, uh... Hey. Mm. Guess who had technical issues again? We had to take what I'm now calling a Jackie break. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when something... That's called cyberbullying, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing some cyberbullying. To be fair, it's it's never her fault. Her computer just keeps fucking up. And the audio fucking keeps... Back. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're back. I have no idea what, what we're, were we talking, talking about. Steven was talking, presumably. Right? Uh, shocking <laughs> turn of events. I think uh, we're, talking about we're talking about elves and yeah. how they die or right. don't die. Mm. And then we no, we were actually talking about Peter. No, we were talking about Peter Jackson and his absurd, uh, Legolas stuff. And then yeah. Tyler was talking about the, the zombie movie with the, um, lawnmower lawnmower. That's right. 
that's and right. then you and then we were talking about the fact that uh, Peter Jackson got Miramax and then New Line Cinema to sign on to make mm. a trilogy all at once. Crazy, yeah, crazy, crazy. to sh- shell out three hundred million dollars, uh, just about, just shy, over two years of everybody's lives, <laughs> taking over whole towns. Did you know? Did you know? <laughs> Did you know? That this was originally uh, Peter Jackson got the the sign off to direct the film, but they didn't actually have a studio that was going to make the film. So this was actually and Weird. Peter Jackson was positing that we need to make all the movies together. The original signer of the movie was Miramax, which I don't even know if they're a studio anymore. Mm. If they are, I think they've been acquired or they're a subsidy or something, just like New Line Cinema. Yeah. So they started going into pre-production uh, under the notion there'd be two movies, and Miramax was having, I believe, some financial difficulties, and they were just like, what if this was one movie? <laughs> and Peter Jackson was like, I, I literally can't do one movie. Like, yeah. We cannot do yeah. this in one movie. Um, and Miramax, to their credit, was like, hey, here's what we'll do. Uh, no hard feelings. If you find another studio that wants to do two movies... We'll release the rights. We'll we'll hand over the pre-production stuff. Wow. Uh, go get it, Tiger. So they shopped it around. He eventually took it to New Line Cinema, also not doing hot financially speaking at the time. And so they did the pitch for two movies. And I believe the the story goes that the head of the studio afterwards said, and you want to make two movies. And Peter Jackson goes, yeah. And he's like, I don't think, why would you make two movies? And there was a pause, and he said, it's got to be a trilogy, right? <laughs> yes. And so that's New Line Cinema picked it up, and they ran with it. And they so, th- so what's amazing is that they did this, and that's never been done before. They make all these movies yeah. together. But that a studio that was actually not doing well financially right. was just like, let's, right. let's friggin' do it, man. Let's just hail <laughs> marry this. And it worked, because then they get acquired. It, it yeah. um, Warner Brothers bought New Line Cinema just for the rights of Lord of the Rings. Wow. Shout I, out. I believe that. Really? Mm-hmm. That is such so a New Line Cinema gamble. doesn't really exist anymore as a separate entity. They'll right. still put their name on like movies and stuff. Yeah. But New Line Cinema was not doing well financially. Wow. You said Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers acquired them, yeah. Who owns Warner Brothers? AT&T. I don't know that. AT&T? AT&T. Yep. I feel like someone else... Not that I have any inside knowledge on that. ...may have yeah. attempted to make this into one movie, and thank God they didn't. Because can you imagine a world that we lived in where the Lord of the Rings trilogy was done in one film, and The Hobbit was spread across three movies? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't think The Hobbit would have been made... Probably um, not. That's and I'm fair. also not sure Peter Jackson would have been the director of a one movie Lord of the Rings. No, I mean it sounds like he he wouldn't have wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, which I mean, good for him. I think uh, I don't think it could have been done properly. No, that I mean that was lightning in a bottle, uh, yeah. just across the board. Yeah. As can be shown by the fact that really nothing that he's done since has been nearly yeah. as effective. Yeah. Hmm. Have you? Um, has everyone seen the Hobbit trilogy? <laughs> Jackie has not. <laughs> No. Sorry, yeah. I was just curious to know why would Warner Brothers want to acquire Lord of the Rings? Just for franchising rights or do they have like an amusement park kind of franchise as well? I mean, the franchise for Lord of the Rings before, if I remember correctly, uh before Star Wars started making new shit, I yeah. do believe uh the franchise for Lord of the Rings in like the mid-aughts was the most profitable fa- franchise in history at the time. 
I see. I believe it. I see. Okay, I'm just curious. Sorry, I'm just trying to piece it all together. I didn't mean to interrupt. And there was already talk in the mid to late aughts about doing a Hobbit trilogy. Ugh. Uh, yeah. I vaguely remember that. Uh, that that lived in development hell for a while, and then it got to live in cinematic hell. <laughs> Honestly, there was a good movie. I, that that is the problem with Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy is that like he got too indulgent, yeah. right? Uh, he, too he, indulgent. he got too indulgent, and then they forced him to use that indulgence mm. uh, to to stretch two movies into three. I think right. he was fine filming all these extra little details. But then what happened was they're like, well, why don't we make this into a third movie? So some of the stuff that maybe he intended for an extended edition right. for fan service, uh, right. he then had to make a, a movie out of. And they I mean, they just had to. I don't know this for a fact, but there are so many. Additional plot lines and characters that they put into this movie, I mean, which is crazy to think about because this movie already has a bigger or the Hobbit already had a bigger cast than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, There's more dwarves than there was Fellowship. Right. And yet they still – there's extra elves. Legolas is here. They're talking about Thranduil. They've got all those people in Lake Town. Mm-hmm. Some of those characters have arcs that didn't even exist. <laughs> and those arcs go nowhere. You got the whole right. white orc thing too. Yep. Oh, that yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That was all fabricated. Oh, I don't even remember that guy's name because he wasn't real. Yeah, he wasn't real. And I, I didn't actually – I didn't like that. Moria had been taken – by legions of orcs, led by the most vile of all their race, Azok, the Defiler. Why would they ever make two movies, though? I mean, like, just tell me, is there a place logically in the middle of the two? If there are three books, do three... It's already, the, the, the segmentation's already been done for you. I mean, is there a logical place in the two towers to split the whole trilogy in half? I feel like they would absorb the two towers into... Yep both halves of and then In- expands return of yeah. the king yeah <laughs> i mean they already did absorb parts of two towers into the movies on either side yeah my, my guess if they had had to have done it my guess is that they would have ended on a cliffhanger as the orcs march to like water deep or something helm's yeah. deep helm's deep yeah what is water deep is something what is that it's from D and D. That's right. So, so yeah, the forgotten, <laughs> on the Forgotten Coast. Nerds. Um, <laughs> I literally have spinach in my teeth, and I can't get it out. <laughs> Good thing our listeners can't see. Okay. There Thank it is. You. We yeah, we're do seeing see it. it though. Yeah. No, we can see it. Dear oh, listeners, no you're missing out. <laughs> All right. So, is there anything? Any other big things? Any other big topics we want to touch? Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about magic. Magic, mm. magic. I also have a big topic as well in these yeah. movies. So, I think my I feel like I'm going to get really nitpicky about these movies. Do it. At, That's what we're here yeah. for. As just movies, and 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 I don't know, maybe it's just like weird plot holes and stuff that I don't understand because it's part of like a larger mythos, you know, because I didn't read all the books and the surrounding material and stuff like that. So I'm sure all these could be answered by you, Stephen. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I. I will say, and again, Stephen, keep me honest, but my memory is that in the books, it's a much softer magic system. I think it's pretty soft in the movies, yeah. to be honest. They don't define... I feel like Gandalf does more magic in the movies than he does in the books. But I mean, that what's that magic? 
What, what's the magic Gandalf's doing in the movies? I don't know. So that's yeah, that's what I assume Tyler's combo is going to be. Is that yes. Gandalf mm-hmm. is never using any real magic? Well, I have like a million questions. No, he like, did. So, so he he's a wizard, right? And he's got a staff. Like, d- so do wizards need staffs? Um, where where does oh, what is the source of the magic? Oh yeah, you're, you're you know, <laughs> can, can it, is anyone... a, it is not that hard right, of a settle system. In, can settle can in. anyone be a wizard? Do you no. do you have like ma- so okay. wizards are actually known as Maiar. They're a lesser form of the Valor, who you should think of kind of as so the, Dude, if if nerd. if the Val. All right, so he's not is, human. I think that's important to understand. He's not Gandalf a human. is not human. Neither is Saruman, right. neither is Radagast, neither mm-hmm. are Alatar or Palando. Those are the blue wizards. You never see them. So they're like a race of beings that are like more They're kind of like angels. They're kind of like angels. Okay. Is I think the best like layman way of framing it. And they're servants sent by kind of like a pantheon of gods that then serves like a creator entity. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's why when Gandalf's like, oh, I died. Right. And I was, you know, out of space and time. And then they they sent me back. Mm. That's what he's talking about. Like his people. He went back to Valinor, just like the elves do. And they were like, bro, you're not done. But we're going to we're going to juice you up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Get, saddle up, Seabiscuit. You're heading home. <laughs> now, is that Off because the they they know the wizards are literally there. The wizards show up towards the end, I think, of the second age at the beginning of the third age. They are literally sent to monitor Sauron, who is kind of one of the last vestiges. There was there's a big there's a big bad in uh, the Lord of the Rings history. Uh, his name is Melkor or Morgoth. Uh, he's defeated at the end of the first age. They I've chain him up. Remember this one? Yeah. Yeah. They chain him up, but Sauron, who is essentially also a mire, he's kind of like Gandalf in like his racial origin. Okay. Um, was one of the chief lieutenants. Think of Melkor. As like essentially Satan, right? Yeah. He used to be one of the brother. He was probably the most, you know, just like there were kind of like angels and archangels. Think of maybe the Valor as like archangels, uh, and then Satan was like the most intelligent, most gifted, most mm. cunning of the angels. And because of that, he exercises a little more free will. He exercises a little bit more arrogance and pride. Uh, by the way, Tolkien was super super Christian. Okay. If you're not if you're not picking up on these subtle similarities, <laughs> um. And then what he does, just like say, or what Melkor or Morgoth does, just like Satan, is he lures people of the, uh, he lures other angels, who essentially become demons, over to his side. Uh, Sauron is one of the last ones left at the end of the first age, and it is because he's like, yo, I was like held at gunpoint, like that whole first war thing or first age thing, I was. I was confused. There was some <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Guys, you got to believe me. And so they're like, all right, whatever. Uh, and then all the Valor and all the Meyer go back to Valinor and they're like, okay, we fixed it. Uh, we're going to reward the humans that help the elves. They're going to be called the Numenorians. They're going to get this awesome continent. And Sauron's like, I'll go hang out with them. I'm going to help the Numenorians as penance. And Sauron is directly responsible for the fall and the downfall of Numenor. And. <laughs> Uh, that then leads to the end of the Second Age, which is the last alliance of elves and men trying to throw him down. Because spoilers, Sauron was actually bad the whole time. Um, <laughs> I know. So he gets defeated. He gets destroyed. Uh, moving into the Third Age, there is an indication because of the One Ring that he might not be gone forever. So they, the Valor to kind of feel like, ah, we really shouldn't have let him go. <laughs> Our bad. Um <laughs> 
And like the, uh, he 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 causes like the the men. So by the way, to jump back to what we were talking about earlier, if elves are envious of men because they get to leave Middle Earth, men are envious of elves because nobody knows what it's like to die and leave Middle Earth. So they want immortality. So uh, Sauron actually gets the Numenorians, who are the ancestors of the Gondorians and Aragorn, to actually try to invade the like the Godlands, Valinor. Mm. To try to claim immortality for themselves, which the Valar do not take kindly. Not uh, they're they're making an Amazon movie about this, and it's or an Amazon show about right. I think the Second Age is going to cover all of this in, in a lot more detail. Is that the uh, probably of power? terribly, like Wheel of Time. <laughs> we'll drive by, drive by, drive by <laughs> Amazon <laughs> shots. <laughs> so they send the wizards to kind of monitor and report back on what activity of quote the enemy is still persisting in Middle-earth and they do the wizards do a phenomenally terrible job except for <laughs> Aaron, except for Gandalf right. who does still die and has to get <laughs> rebooted and rejuiced to try again but to, to answer the original question I think Tyler <laughs> the the magic is not like what you're thinking about with like D&D like wizards slinging spells the magic in Tolkien's universe at least from what I remember is like smaller stuff it's super super vague right yeah it's not defined at all they like elves have magic and you can learn magic and magic can do things but it's not mm-hmm. like it's it probably the least like divinity than anything else it's probably the least defined magic in any fantasy setting i can think of to be yeah. completely frank in the yeah. books <laughs> were there any like like it's in the movies, there's like wizard fights, and they're like throwing each other around rooms and stuff. There's that's all that. made up. That's all made up. Um, what about? <sighs> but the reason they, but that's actually still an homage to the fact that like they don't show or he doesn't talk about magic a lot in the books. Is when they're like, uh, so you hear about Saruman and Gandalf kind of squar- squaring off with each other in like flashback from Gandalf when you're in Rivendell, but you don't actually get to mm. see it live in a chapter. Okay. Um, they wanted to show it, and then there's like, but how do we show magic in Tolkien? Like, Tolkien doesn't even really describe magic in Tolkien. There's just magic happens. Right. So the the solution literally that they came up with is like, what if we don't show it? What if they're just like using magical force and shoving each other around and stuff? What, what if they're Jedi's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did seem more like not a here's a spell and it's this arcane mm-hmm. secret of the universe, but more like a sort of an emotional ejection or I don't know, it was always sort of coming from the body versus from an implement or, I mean the staff, yes, but it was so connected to the body that it didn't feel, it felt like the most ordinary kind of like, of course you were really angry. So that is going to come out of you. And that makes complete sense. It was very ordinary. I I didn't think about that until just now, but then they destroyed Saruman's staff as like, Mm. you're done, buddy. Yeah. It was like a big deal. (laughs) And he's like, Oh fuck. My staff. 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 Saruman. Your staff is broken. Uh, that happens in the book. They do not describe why it's bad. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like Thanks they to- do. They do sunder Saruman's staff, and everybody's like, "Oh!" But like without any like, because that does, you know, this X causes Y. They never do that. Yeah. I have a question so about Sauron. Does he hmm. have a physical form described more clearly in the books? Because this has always been a question for me ever since I was a kid and I saw these movies. Okay, so uh, they show him as the Eye of Sauron in the movies. They describe an Eye of Sauron in the movie or in the books. But my interpretation, 
and this is kind of going back a ways, but my interpretation is it's definitely not a giant flaming eye on a tower. Right. <laughs> I, I assume it is much. kind of like when they refer to the eye of Sauron, it's more like this omniscient, you know, set, like there's spies everywhere and he's kind of moving chess pieces. It's like a network of people. Like you wouldn't see an yeah. eye up in the well, air. Uh, no, they actually do describe at least at least once in the book. So I remember correctly, like I think it's when they're in Mordor. Uh, Frodo and Sam, and he describes like a red piercing, but that might still be like a consciousness, like extending yeah. out to you mm-hmm. as opposed, again, it's not like a searchlight is, is what I would describe it as. Right. Uh, I do think Sauron has a physical form in the book uh, that is like regenerating or something. Uh, Gollum actually s- describes him as only having like four fingers right now or something like that. So when mm-hmm. they say like, oh, Gollum was tortured uh, in Beridur or Minas Morgul or whatever, they, I can't actually remember what they tortured him. Uh, Sauron, I think, was there and maybe did it. Mm, it's it's okay. not well defined, but I I I'm pretty confident he wasn't a flaming eye on a tower. I don't think that's ever described in the book. <laughs> they they didn't in the book describe the tower going down and the eye frantically looking around like oh fuck oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I'm we're, I'm going down. I don't think the ground fell out perfectly around <laughs> the evil armies and not the good guys either. That was yeah. really funny. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I mean, but that's 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 a film, right? And it's like yeah. theater. You suspend your disbelief a bit. Yeah. And it's like a bit ridiculous, but we all accept it. It's fine. It's a convention of the film. Return of the King is just a spectacle orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot. That third movie is a lot. I remember when when we were watching it, Jackie was like after like two hours of just straight battles, <sighs> she was like, all right, I'm done with the fighting. So, like, <laughs> Let's do other stuff now. The yeah. Battle of Pelennor Fields is wild. Yeah. In, it, 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 as a 33-year-old as opposed to a 14-year-old or whatever it came out. Mm. Right. Did, I, did that answer the question, Tyler? Do you I have mean, more Sauron questions? Yeah, so... Like it lo- oh, you're right. That was Devin's question. Sorry. Well, like I was saying, like, I, the magic I, I liked these movies a lot uh, when I was yeah. a kid and now, but I, I don't have that much investment in the lore and stuff. And, and I think mm, right. a lot of it is because it's either it stretches back so far that, you know, I don't have a great mind to, like, keep it all in track, you know. Right. Uh, and also, a, a lot of things are just very vague, you know, like, like the magic, the way the magic works. Yeah. I still don't really I, understand... I I think a lot of Tolkien's stuff works better as like mythology if you sort yeah. of take it on like a metaphorical level, right? Like wizards all have staffs and they can do magic. I, does that mean they're related? I don't know. Who knows, right? Like don't think about it too much. Um, yeah. I I, at least mean. that's how I've always experienced it, right? Like it's 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 like it's like deep history stuff right like you're not supposed to have all the answers it's part of what tolkien did that nobody had ever really done before was like create this world where like you weren't totally supposed to understand everything that was going on right like he dropped you into a point in time with characters who did not have all the information and were going to travel through the world and like that's i don't know that's what i think of as, as like tolkien's big big advancement and I, I do love that about the stories, the fact that it's it's that like the fact that it's they're halflings, they're, you know, they're they're hobbits, right. they're little people from the happiest place on earth, you know, and they're yeah, they don't like completely understand everything that's going on with all these mm-hmm. big armies and wars and all the history involved. They're just like, we got to do this super important thing, and I guess our friend needs help doing it, you know, and 
Uh, Tolkien doesn't even define where the hobbits come from. Right. Like their their full origin, like their their race. They appear next to the river Anduin, I think at the end of the second age or something. But so he clearly defines where dwarves, orcs, elves, and men come from. Mm. Um, and I think Ents, if I remember correctly. But like he's yeah, he's notorious for not and I actually appreciate it over time. He's notorious for not always explaining stuff. Right. Tom Bombadil, if you guys don't know who he is, uh look him up. He's a he's a hoot. Yeah. Uh, he's never, he's never defined intentionally. Yeah. Uh, and he has got some powers and he has got some perspective. But yeah. He doesn't even define where the hobbits really come from. We know where they started, but we don't know why they started mm. when you define like, Oh, the dwarves were made and like elves and humans were always part of this like grand plan and orcs are like corrupted elves and that sort of stuff. Uh, no, the, the hobbits aren't even old either. They show up, you know, Oh, probably like eight or 9,000 years in. In, he never t- he never says why he never says how they decide they don't like the river Anduin so they go to the other side of the Misty Mountains <laughs> he doesn't just, he doesn't say why mm-hmm. uh, the human kingdoms in the west are falling apart at that point so they kind of settle in some of the old territories of the kingdom of Arnor he doesn't say why and then uh, then that's where they stay for centuries he doesn't Do say why <laughs> yeah there's a part of me that really appreciates that like the mystery you know of mm-hmm. this world that like not everyone's gonna have all the answers and you as a reader shouldn't some of it may have just gotten lost to time yeah right and there's just like yeah like the tom bombadil thing is great like no one knows who he is or what he is he just is he confuses <laughs> the care he confuses the characters too elron and gandalf talk about tom and they're still just yeah. like i don't they're like can we give the ring to that fucking guy and they're like <laughs> Don't know. What's he gonna fucking, don't, what's, yeah, don't, don't, what's he gonna fucking do with it? Yeah, don't they even say like he's so powerful that he'll just not think the ring is important and like yeah. lose it in the woods? Yes, they're <laughs> like, just like they're, uh, they're just of. like I don't think the ring. I think because Tom is Tom, which is to say, we literally don't know what he is or how old he is or why he is. That giving him something that's so important to this now for an entity that doesn't think about things. In the now sense is really dangerous because yeah he as Matt said I think the quote is like he might just like leave it somewhere. <laughs> Speaking of the ring and on that same thread of magical powers that aren't super clearly defined. Oh yeah, you have invisibility and then yeah. general power <laughs> that it gives you that L- longevity is, right is, and okay long life invisibility and then this this and then you uh, go nuts ultimate power. if you were <laughs> if you were already a, like a th- how i read it was like if you were already like a like someone who has magic or knows how to use magic yeah then you can unlock like the full potential of the ring exactly if you are just like frodo you're like oh look i'm invisible and i don't die it's an incredibly powerful tool but you have to know how to use the tool okay fair enough <laughs> which is why they're like you can't give it to gandalf you right, can't right. give it to galadriel you can't give it to saruman uh, because they, they can essentially, you know, access the power to, within. Yeah. Right. So, so they're kind of like shitting on like, and then we have the simpletons. Like, we'll give it to the dumb old, you know, like dirt farmers. And how'd you do? Yes, that's it's why they're like. Now we probably should keep it with Frodo. That's kind of I mean. mean. <laughs> I, like they never explicitly say it, but I have to think if you have this thing that corrupts people. And somebody has to hold on to it while you walk across the world. Uh, give it to the guy that's really easy to kill if he falls to corruption, right? <laughs> that sure. that too, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, if, if Frodo gets corrupted, we'll just 
skewer him, <laughs> and then it's done. Yeah, there's a there's a level of exploitation with like keep it with the hobbits that literally can't because <laughs> they also kind of can they can control Frodo not just if he goes corrupted but like Aragorn or Gandalf or Legolas or Gimli can just like pick him up and carry him somewhere yeah right wear him like a necklace while he's wearing the ring as a necklace yeah and then you're all set because you're not technically wearing the ring at that point is that how it works yeah. it's uh, I don't know if that's how it works but yeah uh, no, they don't define the – in the books, just like the movies, they don't define all the powers of the ring and the threat of the ring as well as they could. What if you had the ring in a bag and it wasn't on your person, but you, you like strung it along on a chain or something away I think from he, you? I think he keeps <laughs> it around his neck just so he can't lose it. I don't think you have to actually – I think you could keep it in a bag if you felt really confident about that bag. And you're not going to Tom Bombadil this shit. The thing they say in the books is the ring seems like it changes size sizes. It does. And if it it like has a mind of its own, so like if it wants to get away from you and it's in a bag, right. it will like find a rip in the bag and they somehow slip out. They say that in the movie out. too. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The ring passed to Isildur, who had this one chance to destroy evil forever. But the hearts of men are easily corrupted, and the ring of power has a will of its own. It betrayed Isildur to his death. Until, when chance came, it ensnared a new bearer. I don't think the chain is a foolproof way of keeping the ring attached to you. I mean, it falls off Frodo. He rolls down a hill. Right. Yeah. I think it is just as like a, this is the safest way to keep it attached to me. But yeah, the ring does just find ways to get away from people that it doesn't think are going to help it. (laughs) Okay. All right. We've done a bunch of deep lore. (laughs) Babe, did you want to hit the music stuff or? We can. I also want to have a, a chill conversation about pipe weed. I was going to try and bring up. <laughs> oh, you did actually I, want to talk about it. I thought you were joking. Of course I want to talk about pipe weed. Um, Tyler said he wanted to talk about pipe weed too. That's why yeah, it's in my could, intro. We will be facilitating that conversation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll sit this one out. I was, I was thinking a lot because at the end of the, the third of Return of the King, I was struck by how that scene reminded me so much of addiction. And I don't know if anyone else saw themes of that. I know that the character's, I can imagine Gollum is meant to represent self-sabotage and cleverness and greed and whatever. But I think it it could be there's a larger allegory there that I didn't know if we wanted to explore. Or we can talk about Pipeweed. Or I can talk about the music. (laughs) But those are the three things on my list. Let's do all three of them. I think addiction, the ring as as an allegory for addiction is like a, a, yeah. I mean, I think it was probably intended on some level. And I think it's in in the text. I think it's present. But if there's so much, here's what I don't understand. There's so much Christian imagery and even Judeo-Christian because a golem, right, comes out of Judaism. So I, I don't understand how that jives with, I guess, maybe a sense of duty, a sense of a higher power. I guess that's the connection. I don't know. How do you square the addiction allegory with all of the, you know, Christian imagery, I guess? I'm not sure that every every vector of every metaphorical thing needs to all fit together at all times i think it can be i mean to me i think the ring is just a stand-in for like straying from the path i was yeah, gonna say exactly power it's just yeah power. 
it's it's corruption it's 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 setting aside what you should do for what you want to do right for life's right. pleasures and stuff taking the yeah. easy route um so whether that be power whether that be addiction mm. um i think it just represents like sort of our darker aspects and you know sort of falling to that siren song i felt like it as a literal symbol of power right because it is a ring of power it almost is is uh it's a pretty cynical sentiment there that it will inevitably corrupt anyone who right. holds it mm. right even across you know, you point, know not just man anybody i am no and man <laughs> that's that's uh you know that's that's kind of a a, a dark sentiment but it, you know there might be some truth there too uh, here i come he so tolkien traditionally wasn't wild about people trying to assign meanings to some of the symbolism in his book but he did so like if people ask like was the ring like a nuclear bomb or something like that uh he would always kind of askew away from that sort of stuff but what is notable if you know tolkien's background and a lot of the reoccurring motifs and themes is so he did not like world war one uh, in a shocking turn of events. Uh, that's what killed all of his friends. And he saw it as predominantly people vying for power and how that just destroyed everything and everyone around them. And then you see that, I mean, look at, even in Lord of the Rings, so obviously you have like the ring and what the ring does to everybody. Uh, even the people who didn't make the ring, it's still, uh, Sauron wanted more power than he had. So he created a system uh, where he could control everything, and then that power starts getting juggled between other people, and that's literally spawning wars for centuries, if not millennia. Right. Uh, but then you see it in little micro things, too. Okay, Saruman's decided he wants the power, so the first thing he does is he industrializes and destroys all the forests around him. Mm -hmm. They leave out a chapter in the books that... they or Sorry, in the movie, they leave out a chapter called The Scourging of the Shire, which is essentially, they kind of show it in like a little bit like this might happen with the Mirror of Gladiol thing. But essentially the Shire gets, Saruman when he leaves Orthanc after getting uh, beaten by the Rohirrim, does like kind of the same thing he does to Fangor Forest to the Shire as well. So it's there's definitely a like people looking for control or for power or dominance. Mm. Just you know, that always spills out and kind of just ruins everything. Yeah. And I think that, Again, he would never say that definitively, but that's such a reoccurring... That's what happens in the first age. The elves cause a lot of problems for themselves, and it's because there are elves that decide they want to be better than the other elves. And then mm -hmm. it just spirals out of control. And so that's it's just a reoccurring motif. Yeah. And so the addiction that is definitely present, I don't think is necessarily an addiction to like illicit substances or something like that. But I mean, like, what did Satan want, right? Addiction, I mean, this is, I'm ripping this off from David Foster Wallace from an interview that he gave in the 90s, but it comes from the Latin adicere, which means to be religiously devoted to. So you're right. Mm. It doesn't, it's not dependent on this, the object, right? It is totally about those subjects relationship to whatever it is. And so I, I, I just, I, I was so struck by, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else on this call, and you don't have to identify yourself. If you think you have an addictive personality or you do struggle, you have struggled with addiction in the past, but I have and that feeling of when you think it's rock bottom, there's probably a little so farther to fall. And there's, you know, the idea that, I don't know, it's an idea of what you want is what's hurting you, but you can't stop the cycle. You can't get out of that. So I, I just saw 
so much of that in the mountain doom it was it was just i, I thought it was a really nuanced portrait of mm. of sort of the the self-harm of addiction i just i thought it was and you know you see that in the relationships too but i, I just thought it was really beautiful i had that feeling too but i i feel like the metaphor kind of gets lost in a way because he does have to do the thing like it's not like an addiction that he it's like for a good purpose you know what i mean like he's carrying this weight not because he i mean we all think we're just doing these compulsive things for a good purpose like if well I he, keep, he literally did you know though. what i mean <laughs> you know yeah we're, we're, none of us are doing it yeah he was actually and i think that is what makes a, a story where you root for someone but i think we're all we all have um, compulsions because we're trying to protect ourselves or we're trying to do the right thing or what we think is right. Everything that we, we are the heroes of our own story, I guess. Um, but yeah, I take your point. It is, it is nuanced in that way, sort of the higher power aspect or the higher responsibility. Can I also just throw in to go back to like the people seeking power and that sort of stuff kind of wrecks everything around them. How many people who have, who find themselves in addictive situations and relationships with substances or people or whatnot how many of them would have ever chosen that for themselves or was it uh you know events beyond their control kind of conspiring to get them there mm. yeah well and it's this combination you just you don't just like it's not like a disease that you can i think you can be genetically predisposed to addiction to being really vulnerable to that but i think so much of it is just the conditions around you and, you know, Frodo, I, I, I did sense in him this sort of messianic, sacrificial lamb quality, right? But, and I'm sure everyone on this call did. He is literally carrying the burden so others don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's barefoot. And he has a cape or a tunic or whatever. <laughs> it's a cloak. Um, he's basically Jesus. An elf um, cloak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steven gets it. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. There's a um, lot there. It's a lot. I, I can't even unpack it all. No, I think... And, and I think the relationship between Sam and Frodo, especially towards the end, to me, mm. is indicative of like a loved one, right? Like, I can't carry this burden for you, but I can try and carry you, right? Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! Like to me, like Gollum was like a an enabling friend who was like, no, 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 like trust me. Well, Gollum was okay. his shadow self. Yeah, I mean, but like, that what happened to other... Gollum? It was the same form of uh, uh, corruption on a, on a smaller scale, right? He's like a you know he killed his uh, cousin over the ring, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think it was. His yeah, cousin. it was his yeah his cousin. I think he didn't choose to find the ring either, right? right? Like it, it right. was it found him, right? Sort of, and it. Just again, people getting swept up in these events and it just wrecking everything for everybody around them. Yeah. I will say that, you know, in, in, I guess I'm just going to be open on this podcast. I don't really have anything to hide. Um, the day that I had my last drink almost four years ago, it's, I really feel like when you walk away from an addiction or when you fight your way out of it, um, a part of you does die. Like there is a, right. Like that, and it's you kill it, and it's not that it dies; it's you are you are killing it. You are suffocating this self destructive force right. in you, and I, I I think that was what if I really because I was just thinking as we were talking through, I was like, so what was it about that scene that really stuck with me? I can't really quite remember, and it was when he you know when I watched when we watched Gollum die, and and he was fighting himself, and I just I found that to be so true but you don't mm-hmm. when it when it happens to you you're not realizing that it's this existential fight for your future right it's sort of yeah. 
just horrible and uncomfortable and painful. Um, but to see that physicalized is really satisfying. I think that's what I'm responding to. There is something to say, you know, if you follow that same metaphor of Gollum dying because he went down with the ring, right? Like yeah. he, he, right. he went down into, into his ultimate demise, you know, because he couldn't let it go. He was right. so happy. Literally died it. clutching it to his chest and smiling. Smiling. Right. <laughs> I love that, that little touch. I just, it was, I don't know. It was beautiful. I, I thought it was so true but in a way that didn't make me feel triggered. Yeah, and, and one, I I would, at least for me, I think the most controversial thing that they left out of the movie adaptations is this really famous bit at the end of, of Return of the King called The Scourging of the Shire, where they come back from their journeys, right? And in the movies, like, the Shire's the same. Everybody's happy. But in the book, in their absence, the Shire's been taken over by, like, brigands. And they have this whole, like, 100-page something like that, like mini <laughs> campaign in the Shire to take it back over. And like the Shire is net. And, and they, they sort of did the, the emotional impact of this in the movies with Frodo and his inability to, where he said, like, what did he say? Like I've changed, but the Shire hasn't changed or something like that. Uh, we saved the Shire, but not for me. Right. That's mm. it. And, and I, I always thought the reason it was controversial that they left it out of the movies for me is that I think that's one of the most beautiful parts about the book series is the idea that the things that we do and that happen to us um, change us, right? So, like, to your point, yeah. hun, like, you, you can throw the ring away. You can heal, you know, the, the wound from Weathertop. You can come back to the Shire having saved the world or middle earth at least, but like it has a cost. There is a part of you that dies or changes and, and like that sort of like melancholy, it's both optimistic in the sense that you can save other people, but it is also melancholy in the fact that like it will, it, it will cost you, right? Like you Frodo does not get, I mean, I guess he kind of gets a happy ending, but like even when he goes into the West, I get the sense that like he's not happy, right? Like he's just It's the feeling I got at the end of the good place. Yeah. I I, I really I think that you're right to say that there is something you know, like because here's like if you are gonna see the ring as addiction, I think the interesting part is that Frodo never gave up the ring, but it is mm. gone. It's not like his addiction, his desire for the ring goes away. He just, right. it literally does not exist in the world for him anymore. That is a really good point. That is like a metaphor for the part of you that will always pine for the thing that you're addicted to. Even if you are sober and you've given it up, there's like a part of you. And you have to let that part right? go. There's, there's always going to be a part of you that like misses the thing that you like let into your sense of self, right? I, I don't know how to explain yeah. it other than that. Like a threat to your right. identity. Absolutely. So now he's got like... Yep, to me, yeah, it was a semi-happy ending for Frodo where he just seemed restless at the end. He's like, hey, I did it, but like, I can't, I can't just sit here in the Shire anymore. It doesn't work for me now. Yeah, he's yeah. like you said, it came out of cost, and now he's just like, you know, got itchy legs. He's got to get out of there. And Same thing kind of happened to Bilbo after his adventure, to be fair. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, that's why he left in the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Because he's like, I got I to gotta get out of here. I want to see mountains again. I think it's significant that Bilbo has not had the ring for years. He has aged considerably. Yeah. And he is getting on a boat, you know, bound away from Middle Earth. And even after all that time, 
as a as a person as a former owner of the ring possessor of the ring he says like oh do you have can i look at that ring that i gave you yeah mild yeah. ring yeah like it never goes away and i and i think that's like yeah i don't i don't think the ring is only addiction but i think that it can be really beautifully seen as as a metaphor for addiction um not to <laughs> do a hard pivot here but i, I am very deep shit pivot I I am very curious on what your criticisms of the soundtrack are because I love the soundtrack. Me too. I just want to say for the record, she loved the I... soundtrack while we were listening. After we finished them all, she listened to the soundtracks no, in no, no. the kitchen. I, I I liked them and I was like, I want to take a closer listen. Um, it was my elitist right, friend okay. who was like, I can't believe you like it. The soundtracks are so bad. And, you know, if I think about it as a musician, I have some thoughts. Before we get your thoughts, do you have your friends' criticisms or were they just generally like, bah, this is poop? <laughs> <laughs> this is poop. This is musical poop. I believe she said in theater, you always want to show. You don't want to tell. There are some directors that do pointing, but usually you don't want to point on stage, right? You want to be able to create another world and be another person in it, la la la. And I think that is the criticism of the soundtrack and that it, you know, overpowered some of the, of the acting. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know that I disagree with the first part, but I think the movies were so battle heavy at certain points that you just kind of have to go into that film direction, right? You just have to do that action movie thing. Yeah, the music's fine. Hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, actually. I set up top that a, a, we weren't going to break this up into three parts and we weren't going to do each movie individually like this. And somehow, here we are. We ended up doing three breaks, <laughs> three different parts. <laughs> anyway, but we're we back. We didn't want it to be a trilogy, but here it is. Yep. <laughs> we're forced into good it. Don't call Editor it a Tyler. Oh my god. We're also yeah. rounding the bin towards two hours. Don't We're gonna have woo. five endings too. <laughs> yeah, oh right. My god. Uh so so Steven, you had something <clears throat> you wanted to say about the soundtrack of this movie, and I'm very curious as to what that was. Uh so yeah, big fan of the soundtrack, listened to it on repeat as like a teenager, uh and when in I in college. And in college. <laughs> and I and in college. Um I think I've never actually heard anybody really criticize it, but I think where uh, Jackie's friend was going, where um, it, it it could definitely, I, I can now see with a little bit more objectivity that yeah, it could it could hammer you with some mm-hmm. of those melodies and some of those themes. It very yeah. rarely was subtle yeah. in hindsight. Um, like now I'm not saying that's necessary. What? It's and it's it's an it's an epic. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. action movie soundtrack. So yeah, it. Can, but I mean, there are quieter moments and tender moments, and there and some of my favorite themes actually, or some of my favorite tracks weren't the big, you know, the Battle of Helm's Deep and stuff. It was some of the more quiet. I always really liked the Elven stuff. Yeah. Uh, but even then, Flutes. they are they are. Your friend's right to some extent. I don't think that takes away. I don't think that's like a a detriment to it. But I can understand that criticism, and I I, I do think mm-hmm. at times. It could have been quieter. Sure. <laughs> I do. I do remember at least one moment where they wanted to illustrate that now we are switching gears to a happy moment, and the Shire theme kicked in. Mm-hmm. But it kind of like it, it brought you there because you're like, oh, I'm hearing 
the Shire theme, now I know this is like a peaceful moment. Right. Right. Mm. Not because of the context of the movie. But I love that theme so much that I was just so excited yeah. to hear it. I didn't really care. <laughs> so <laughs> But good. I did note that. Wonderful to see you, Gandalf. <laughs> So how is the old rascal? I hear it's going to be a party of special magnificence. Exactly. The themes, the themes I think are phenomenal. If, if the criticism was mostly about just how they were leveraged at certain moments, sure. I actually completely agree I with think that. That's but fair, yeah, if, yeah. if they were going to shit talk the Rohirrim theme, I'd be like, well, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> they're, I think they're I mean, all the iconic. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like each piece, I think, is iconic. Like they, they all are yeah. on the level of like Imperial March. You know what? Yeah. What other, other than like a yeah, like a John Williams score, like what mm. other film score has this many iconic like it's bangers? Iconic. Yeah. yeah. It just the kids would call hit them after bops. <laughs> bops. Yeah. There's, well, bop. I am flossing. There's... I believe they were streets ahead. Oh, yeah. ahead. <laughs> There's a road trip game that I've played with some friends where we shuffle through uh, movie scores on Spotify and you have to guess the movie that the score is on. <laughs> okay. And yeah. never have I gotten so many points that when any right. piece from Lord of the Rings comes, you're like two seconds and you're like, I know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, calling yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're iconic. They're, they're, they're great. You know, they're super catchy. And I think in, in the style that this is right which is epic yeah. movie i i think they work personally um yeah. you know i'm i'm open to other people not liking them but you know also classic music people are snobs sometimes <laughs> yeah i mean it is what yeah. it is if you guys ever get a chance to the extended editions are four discs not two discs and there's two additional discs worth of just the like a making of the movies that's even longer than the movie. I think it's like eight hours. Did you watch a local copy that you had already purchased? Yeah, I have all the extended. Okay, that's, yeah. that's what I thought. On, on, on disc. Um, and they do, I have them like, all at my parents' house. I didn't have them here, though. They do break out. Like, I mean, they go really into... One of the things that's really you can really appreciate about these movies, if you ever do watch those, is how much thought and detail they put into the details. Mm, right. And so one of the things that I actually really liked about the musical tracks uh, that I don't think is particularly apparent for instance, and I'll give you two examples. One is that when they were dealing with different cultures, they actually always made an effort to use to incorporate instruments that they only associated with that culture. Uh, the Rohirrim is the most obvious. They use a Nordic fiddle, mm. uh, like that theme that they normally play when it's, when it's not like the big mm-hmm. bombastic one. Uh, but it's just kind of that meandering one when they're just kind of doing like offside stuff. Uh, they use like a Nordic fiddle, uh, but like even stuff like the Fellowship of the Ring theme. Uh, actually has when they first play that theme for you it has nine distinct instruments associated with each person and as you go through the movies and they still play the fellowship they will actually have taken out some of those instruments if they're not there you never Ah. hear the full fellowship theme again after the fellowship of the ring movie because boromir is dead there's his instrument is always gone from every incarnation that's Song. fine attention to detail that that's right and so you get that. a lot of appreciate and so th- one of the things that i struggle with with tolkien and these movies is because i can appreciate all the craft and attention to detail mm. when somebody's like i thought it was loud <laughs> <laughs> i instinctively you know just you can go fuck yourself but then and then but then you know with with maturity and objectivity uh-huh. i can be like no 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 no, no. that's also- that's a 
I also think that like, obviously my friends from the arts, because those are all my friends, except for you all. And so I think if you're in the arts and you're saying the music was too on the nose for what was dramatically happening, it's sort of like, are you okay? Do you realize that you work in opera where the music is always too heavy right. mm. and always too connected <laughs> where, to what's happening dramatically? Like, where characters literally sing exactly what they're thinking without any yeah. <laughs> subtext whatsoever. I, I just, I, I, that's so ridiculous. It's, it's so hypocritical. So it's, I, I, this is theater, right? There is a real right. theatrical element to this. It is high stakes all the time. I mean, I have high blood pressure now after watching that movie i mean it, there were just certain points after like gandalf's death was just the beginning where i was really mm. on the edge of my seat um and you have but to it wait is what it is. that's how yeah. theater works you use music yeah. to make a point yeah. or to tell a story or to indicate something and sort of what you were saying about sort of those those motives that kept coming back the sort of richard wagner the the guy who wrote the ring cycle right same kind of story all all based on norse legends and stuff he had these things called leitmotifs which in the music were little melodies or sort of um, melodic fragments or musical ideas even sometimes not even melodic um that would be played you know when a character was doing something significant so um the ring motif sounds like bum 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 and it's in the brass and it's a very triumphant theme so you hear that when the ring is being mentioned or alluded to um but those mm -hmm. change so they'll show in different keys they'll be transposed they'll be in sort of in prolongation or diminution um and so i don't know that that happened a ton with the film score i think when it did it was with more the the most melodic little motives associated with characters or places but i, I felt like places more often um than people but so but i do think there was a little bit of, of that there right you know a little bit of this sort yeah. of take a musical motive and change it a little bit but i think for people to recognize it i mean sometimes my ears i'm used to listening out for that stuff and sometimes i miss it you know so it's i think using the prettiest bits is it was a was a good was a good choice there for a more commercial kind of product mm. okay we're close to do we want me to add one last thing there or do we want go, me to shut up? Go, go for, for it. it. You have something That's to say. That's what we're here for. They actually do do exactly what you're talking about with a couple of the themes. Yeah. Um, and it, one of them relates to sort of the addiction and like we've got these wounds from this trauma that we carry forward and it's never quite the same. Uh, the Shire theme when they get back is actually notably different. I did note that actually. Than the beginning and that is intentional. Lower is in register. I remember that distinctly. It's a little lower. It's a little sadder. Mm -hmm. It's a little slower. And the, mm. it, it, and the end is also different. Some of the notes go off in a different direction. And then also, um, I, again, always really like the elf stuff. Uh, they take the Lothlorien theme, which is super – and that's, not a, that's a theme you hear for maybe two minutes in the first movie. And they bring it back in the uh, two towers during the Battle of Helm's Deep oh, yeah. when the elves are fighting. And they, uh, and, they, and they do that. It is actually the Lothlorien theme. And then they were just like, what if drums? <laughs> what if military? <laughs> Open the gate! Yeah, what, what if, if military? So they they do have some of that same. That's why, like, if you're gonna, 
there was a lot of thought put into it and they do uh if you're a fan of opera i imagine you've also listened to a decent amount of musicals i'm a big musical fan myself and and i always love when they do reuse themes intentionally at different points Mm. to kind of flip your expectations Mm. on stuff uh, and yeah. th- that some of that's going on in this soundtrack too. Absolutely, and 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 you know, a little I don't know, fifty years after, not quite fifty, forty to fifty years after, uh, Wagner was was writing. You know, you started to see more of this, you know, music that did use motifs, but with uh, sort of within a tonality or really hiding these messages in the music. And I think to myself, mm-hmm. am I supposed to listen to that and understand the dramatic development if you've hidden all of these motifs? Shouldn't they be very prominently displayed in the music in interesting and unique ways that change over time so that I can notice the change? So, I mean, I, I in in a way, like the music I specialize in is, is more like this more um, inaccessible kind of way of communicating musical development and dramatic development. But I have to say as, as a person who's not making the music as someone who will be, will be taking it in or the piece of art. Um, I, I appreciate that accessibility for sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's something to say for enjoying deep cuts too, which is kind of what you're, you know, the stuff that you really have Gotta to have look both. for as opposed to where you Gotta pick up both. on it immediately. I want to talk about the effects a little bit. Can we mm. do that? Um, oh yeah. When Gollum. I, well, Gollum. not even just Gollum. When I saw this movie in theaters Jesus. as a kid, the special effects were literal magic to me, right? Yeah. They were so hyper-realistic in my eye and brought you into this world in such a in such a way that was just, you know, it was pure magic. And part of that was me being a kid. And part of that was being, this was some of the best special effects at the time, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm generally pretty critical of CGI. And these hold up a lot better than I would have expected. Um, considering just how old they are. I was really surprised that Gollum looks as good as he does still. I think they did a couple of things. I mean, there's definitely a lot of use, sort of like the Jurassic Park trick, right? Where they the CG is in when it's dark and raining, right? Which gives you a lot more flexibility. Um, and it works. It works really well to keep it held up. I mean, up. In, fe- in Fellowship, that's true. But like the thing that still to this day blows me away is that I think Gollum from Two Towers onward... It gets so good. It's the first time that they ever fully trusted in having a fully CG character. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's not true. Is it not true? There's one fully (gasps) CG character in movie history before this, besides T-1000. Can anybody name who it was? Oh, God. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks? It was Jar Jar motherfucking <laughs> oh, Binks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So if you ever want to really appreciate, and that was a, that was a year and a half prior, if you okay. ever really want to appreciate how glorious Gollum was, imagine if he looked like Jar Jar Binks. Musical <laughs> Jar Jar Binks! Well, I mean, that's like, yeah, Gollum to this day, I, I remember watching these movies as a kid and saying like, Gollum will never not be outstanding. And definitely yeah. you go back today and you can like you can see you some can of see the it. age. Hmm. But like he still looks so fucking good. He really does. And the fact that a hugely important character for the entire trilogy, like literally the guy who ends the plot, right? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> is an entirely CG character is mind-boggling mm-hmm. and they did such a good job. They really did, and you know, I know, like Andy Circus was was doing all the like mocap, mocap and stuff. Work, yeah. So like, yeah, you know, I, everybody loves to talk about how great Andy Circus is in these movies, and they're all right to do so. But um, just crazy. But Andy Circus is a man in a white wetsuit 
Right. <laughs> scrabbling, <laughs> scrabbling over rocks, which without the technical achievement. And if you ever watch the makings, you get to watch. I know. I've his seen it. I've seen it before. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It is. It is. This is it. It really doesn't fit, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, there's like in one of those behind the scenes, he um, there's like one scene from I think Return of the King that is not that is only in the extended cut where he spits. And he was like, that's the only part of me that's actually in the movie. <laughs> they kept his spit in. That's really funny. It's two towers. Is it two towers? Okay. <laughs> it's, when, it's when Sam's going to cook the rabbit in a stew. Right. <laughs> but I think this works so well. I mean, yes, Gollum being a fully three uh, CG character is, A, I think like that's kind of a gamble to do <laughs> in the mm-hmm. early aughts, right? Especially following Jar Jar Binks. Um, yeah. But they, did, they pulled it off in a way that was... Like I remember it looked photorealistic at the time and it holds up. You, like you said, you can definitely see it a little bit now, but the production of that, of his character also right. gets a little bit better in the second and third movie. Um, I think. Oh, he looks terrible in that one shot in the first movie. He's, like, it's a they, completely different model actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They hadn't, I can't, I don't hold this as gospel, but I'm not sure they'd either cast Andy Serkis yet or mm. they, like they just hadn't des- actually fully designed on the character design and Andy Serkis's face eventually gets incorporated into Gollum's face mm-hmm. because of how inexplic like in not inexplicably Expressive. no just they, they they do kind of merge as the production mm-hmm. goes on yeah. um and so yeah if you like freeze frame that like Gollum looking through the rock thing it's not it it's doesn't look cool. anything like Gollum except right. for that it climbs right and right. has big eyes yeah um and you know I think obviously they used like practical effects a lot in this movie and seemingly mm-hmm. as much as they could uh which i always really appreciate you know just because i love practical effects generally more than cg is i don't think that's a super hot take but um and i think that when you mix them together you get something that ages pretty gracefully you know i mean it's there's so many scenes in this in this movie that are absolutely massive and epic and even trying to conceptualize how you would begin to to create something like that is mind blowing. So me and Tyler and I were watching some of the behind the scenes and we're just marveling at yeah. the sheer production, uh, uh, the colossal production that this was right. Like I can't imagine being in charge of any department and not having for like, my hair uh, go gray. Like, Oh look, they're building the set for like uh, where the elves hang out. I, I don't have any of the, the names or anything, but like, they built this humongous set like out in the like in a jungle and they show like a helicopter airlifting a yeah. huge like piece yeah. of the set down like doom, 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 doom. and it's like incredible like all of that costs so much fucking and even money even all of the shots with um the forced perspective right that they yeah. had to do for having mm-hmm. like gandalf and and the halflings like together in a room where they're building like right. two props of different sizes of that everything in the set. Unbelievable. Two sets, yeah. yeah. Right? Two sets completely. Custom tables to put like um, Frodo Mugs like on back, stuff, yeah. you know, <laughs> or Elijah Wood back from. And the actors have to basically be in two different scenes. I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. I mean, it's For the twice the part. amount of work well, in almost every way. What was well, they super can't impressive, look at each other. Yeah, what was super impressive is they actually filmed some of these scenes when they were in the same room just with like, altered tables that make it right. look like they're in a different perspective and they're they just like, even oh, talking past each the other. The robot arm? Do you guess they, they even the... rotate. They even rotate the right. camera in one of these and while they're doing that, they're rotating Frodo. Oh, man. So, that, so Frodo's moving and the camera's moving but because they're moving in junction, 
It looks like Frodo staying still. That's amazing. No, they did to do that. That's insane. I don't know. (laughs) That's such an absurd undertaking to be like, this is how we want to do the movie instead of just like, ah, we'll just green screen them and like composite it together in the end, right? But they do do that too. That's the other thing too. Is like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they do everything. Uh, most of the major like uh, Minas Tirith, that's not a digital Mm -hmm. creation. That's that is a like twelve foot high. 15 foot wide model that they would just run cameras through and then they digitally add like people running around it and stuff Mm -hmm. they built uh the rohan town i can't remember what the capital's called that's berserk edoras edoras they built edoras like that's actually on a hill in the middle of new zealand Mm -hmm. i mean they had to take it down but yeah token encyclopedia dude yeah um (laughs) yeah i mean i I I studied abroad in in New Zealand in college and like did you visit? Like we the, went to Hobbiton. Shire. Yeah, I went with we them. Went to did you really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. That's really cool. So in the same breath that we're talking about the effects in this movie, I also want to talk about what to me is the significant places that they did not use effects, which is the environments. Right? Yeah, like yeah. it is. If you've never traveled to New Zealand. It is unbelievable what parts of that country look like. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, a lot of fantasy series these days, like, oh, we'll just film them in, in a field and then we'll put, like, mountains in the background and post, right? The Mandalorian is almost all just yeah in a, in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. yeah, with a big curved screen behind them. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, everybody said it, and so, like, I, I don't want to, like, belabor the point, but... Having seen the films, I don't know that any place other than New Zealand could ever be Middle Earth to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just like such a. It seems obvious now because these movies kind of put New Zealand as like a beautiful place on the map. But I remember not knowing much about New Zealand and thinking like, why are they filming it down there? What is that? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so like, far away. I thought it was so Australia. Far... Did you? <laughs> I really did. A state in Australia. I thought it was like, if it wasn't Australia, it would look like Australia. Right. If that makes mm. sense. Right, 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 yeah. And it, I mean, parts of it. No, not really, actually. Not really, no. Yeah. <laughs> it is its own bag. Yeah, it's its own thing. And the, like, the South Island with the Southern Alps is, like, so anytime they're, like, running with, like, snow-capped mountains in the background, they're on the South Island. And it actually just fucking looks like that. It's outrageous. Uh, yeah, which is, yeah, I mean, it makes sense why they picked it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks pretty incredible. There is one scene when they are all walking through the mines of Moria and they're doing some forced perspective stuff with, you know, all the characters lined up and they're all running in the hallway together. And there is one like gaff, I guess you could say, right, where I think it's Legolas's arm, who's he's in the background, swings, and it should have go behind Gandalf, but it goes in front of Gandalf. And I've <laughs> never seen anyone talk about this. I saw it once as a kid, and I was like, hey, they messed up. <laughs> and I've Googled it for years since then and have not seen anyone else point it out. Oh, so weird. There, there's like it's just like a couple of frames where you can where it kind of like breaks the uh the perspective trickery that they were doing. I had to watch it like three times before I caught it myself. Yeah, I was like, "Here it is!" I was like, pointing to the screen. Don't you see it? <laughs> but it's pretty obvious, right, Tyler? Once you once you see it, it's once there. you see it, it's hard to unsee it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you should go wanna, back and look. For I don't want to. No. Yeah. Monster. It made it to the okay. file cut. I don't want to cut the conversation short, but I do want to know what the ratings are. Are we approaching ratings? I'm very curious about this. I feel like we should. Otherwise, it's going to take me like 
a month to <laughs> yeah. edit okay. all, all this shit. Hold, hold on a second. Right. Hold on, hold on. I feel like I had one more thing I wanted to say. I'm trying to remember what it was. I definitely will say that <laughs> I'm not like... gonna. I don't think I'm gonna have it done by next week. We might have to take a week off. I so think we got enough of a backlog. So Stephen, our ratings oh. you get to make up sort of what it means to you. The one thing that we all agreed on was we're like making recommendations to people who have never seen the movie before. And a five means you can either take it or you can leave it. Everything else is kind of, you know, you define what, what criteria you, you rate it on. Can I, can I hear someone else go? Cause I, I'm sure. Yeah. Before well, we, I, we're waiting for Devin. Right? I want to, okay. <laughs> I just want to tell notes. one more, one more quick little, little add on here um, okay. is that after these movies came out, the Museum of Science here in Boston did a one of their exhibits for Lord of the Rings. And I went, and I don't know if any of you guys heard about this or had any other Lord of the Rings exhibits, but it was fantastic because they had Gandalf's cart there that had like the perspective seat so you could take a That's photo cool. with someone and one of you would look like giant, one of them would look like a, cool. like a nice. hobbit. They also had a bunch of the original like props from the movie, a bunch of swords and things like that that were that were used in the filming, and it was really really cool. <laughs> that was that's what you I, wanted to say. That's what it I wanted cool. to say. It was really really neat. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound glad cool. we waited for that one, buddy. I think that was you know what I think that was a neat story, Devin, and it reminds me that was a neat that... story, Devin. <laughs> if you guys would like, I can go get. A prop from the Lord of the Rings. Oh, what? you have an actual you prop. Do it. You have He's one. Such a nerd. Go get wait, it. Yeah, wait, wait. please go this get it. This is upsetting. Nerd! I wonder what it is. I'm really Matt, You I know, I may just right? use the video I, from yeah. this to put on. I have played with it before because I am a nerd, but not a nerd. Not nerd enough to actually own something like this. I wonder how much he spent on it. I've never asked. <laughs> I think it would upset me. <laughs> I I very seriously considered buying some recreation like swords from this movie just to have because I was super into it and I just kind of yeah. wanted them. I wanted them. Yeah. All right. Well. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, boy. So that is uh, Aragorn's sword. Aragorn's yep. ranger sword. There you go. That is an actual prop. Get out of here. Yeah. I assume it's it? a, it's a recreation. It's not. It's a re- it's it's a official licensed replica yeah, yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's made by Weta Workshop. Right. Wow. What's okay. That? It's also very heavy. I believe. Uh, yeah. Is it sharp? No, it's false edged. I would have died. Uh, I got this when I was. I got this. I think when I was like fourteen or fifteen. That's uh, my pretty... my father agreed to buy it for me just to piss my mother off. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Barry. And we didn't we didn't know it was we didn't know it was false edge. So luckily, I still have both of my legs and all of my fingers. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, I would have killed for one of those. I am pretty jealous even now actually <laughs> that looks amazing yeah it looks really really cool the, the sound was really satisfying when you put it back in the scabbard there Ooh, thump. yeah and somehow he still convinces people to have sex with him i do i had <laughs> sex i had sex just last friday Are you sure it's not because <laughs> of the sword it's probably it's probably because of the sword i think so yeah yeah <laughs> this guy speaking fucks. of aragorn as a ranger i don't know what happened but i completely blocked out the fact that his name was strider in the movie yeah and people call him strider and they kept calling him that and i had zero recollection of it i I just like the hobbit fact yeah weirdly it was just sam like sam kept calling him strider yeah 
Strider! 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 I'm I'm not hundred percent sure, but I I think he does that in the book for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean he's yeah. definitely Strider at least through Yeah, they have no idea who he is by Rivendell? Uh, bef- yeah. They have to get yeah. to Rivendell before they even know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off with the ratings ratings because um, i feel like i have the least amount maybe other than jackie like least amount of a- attachment to these to this franchise this to these yeah. movies and i and i mostly just watched it as a like a casual film goer i'm like okay i'm just gonna watch right. these really long fantasy movies you know like yeah. um and i loved them for that with like i feel like i have a lot of nitpicky stuff like all like like I said, the, mostly because I, I I like the knowledge. I don't I don't have I didn't read any right. anything past the two towers. I read The Hobbit when I was a kid, like for school once, you know. But I still loved them. They're great. Uh, even with I have a terrible attention span, but somehow somehow they did it where like every time they're like four hours blew by. I'm like, well, we're only two hours in. Shit, I can keep going. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was incredible. But like. I just have like really nitpicky things about just the fantasy stuff, the lore, like the like, like I said, the way the magic works. I feel like I have a better understanding, kind of, that it's like meant to be vague, you know? Yeah, that's not really Peter Jackson's fault, though. No, no, it's it's with the the mythos itself, and and I don't know stuff like um the ghosts, right? The ghost army. Mm. I mean, they're just like a Deus Ex Machina, right? Like they just they can't be touched. They can kill anything that moves, but they can only be used one time. You know, as like a kind of a magic wish kind of thing. <laughs> that seemed wonky to me as a as a plot device where it's like, all right, if Aragorn could do that, why don't you ask him like, oh, by the way, before you go and move on and cross on forever, can you go and like just sweep through Mordor real quick and just like, you know, clear all of that shit in there? The, I, hate to, I hate to. I hate to. No, go, yeah, go for it. They're utilized differently in the book. They're a little less deus ex machina. Uh, I think you can actually lay this one at peter jackson liking the spectacle mm. okay yeah but so i feel like there's a good amount of that um and i, and I don't know mm. j- just as like watching these movies as movies you know like those are the kind of things that i kind of feel like it's nitpicky because i had such a good time anyway outside of that but it's like you know why does it have to be just frodo they never really explain in the movie anyways as just watching these movies like why why him why just him why can't sam grab it for a while you know why? Why does it have to be on your finger before Sauron sees it? You know why does he have an orange spotlight that works sometimes and can be dragged away at other times? But he's also omnipresent other times. Yeah. And you know the the Black Riders, the uh, the Ring Wraiths. You know, like why are they brushed off so easily in the first movie with just like Aragorn going like "shoo, yeah, fuck off," you Fire. know? <laughs> and then like a movie later, they're like, "Oh, this guy, he's like the most terrifying being in all existence right now outside of Sauron. Don't mess with him." Like, wait, the guy that was just like shooed away with like a brush fire? Like, okay, there's a lot of that kind of nitpicky stuff. Uh, uh why doesn't? <laughs> The, I think the huge question that everybody has usually is like, why doesn't Gandalf just like whisper to his hawk friends in the very, like he right is. in the beginning and go like, yeah. hey, even if it has to be cared by Frodo, like pick up my friend Frodo with the ring, bring him to Mount Doom. I know you're going to get shot at like all the way there by, I don't know, magic missiles and shit. But, you know, you, know, you get there, Frodo's just going to run in real quick, uh, toss this thing into a lava lake and then flying back and then we're done, you know? Right. We don't need to fellowship at people. Just 
hawk, hawk grab this guy <laughs> and let's let's get this thing done. You know, it's it's that important. But they do explain that a little bit. A little case. bit, and I feel like it, that's just me being just kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. But it's it's, I think the. <laughs> The spectacle and the amount of um, just like fun moments and the artistry that went behind the movies and the amount of time and effort and I do like the mystery of the the story too the mythos enough that like yeah I'm gonna give it uh, I think a eight point five out of nine like definitely you have to see them if you're into fantasy on any level this is kind of like the bible of fantasy stories you know kind of started all of it um, I mean like correct me if I'm wrong but like Tolkien created like yeah. goblins and orcs and and elves and for the most part, right? Like there wasn't a lot of that before him. Uh, he 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 created the modern. I think he might have actually created the word orc. Uh, okay. Elves existed prior, but he elves. Santa's little helpers are elves Ooh. too. That was the old yeah. context for elves. Okay. Uh, so he kind of created the more modern understanding of elves uh dwarves are essentially him too so you're not wrong he essentially laid the foundation for pretty much all fantasy work that came before him i would like to add the caveat that their fantasy has always existed yeah and he was drawing from you know old english poems and myths and stuff like that too so he didn't like create this it wasn't just you know out of out of a queer blue sky orcs Mm-hmm. Um, yeah but, but yeah, he made it every... so accessible to a level you, that you didn't have you didn't have uh written books like that uh, right it, he actually got some criticism at the time because like why were why would an adult write a book like this for adults mm. yeah right like so yeah One, like for it being a book that came out in what the early 50s I want to say it was the the I think the Hobbit came out in the early '60s and the Lord of the Rings came out in the late '60s. I want to say, early '70s. I th- I think it was early '50s for Lord of the Rings. I think it was written. I think it came out in like '54, '53. Yeah, I thought the Hobbit came out in the '40s and then this the Lord of the Rings came out in the '50s. Maybe it just took a while for them to get popular. I'm looking it up. Uh, yeah, no, 1954. Wow. They got really big around the 60s. They were okay. people were painting like Frodo lives on the tube stations in London and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and I guess it, they Fucking just must have been a ramp up for them getting. Yeah. Huh. Look at that. All right. I can't so imagine 8.5... people write graffitiing spoilers. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> in, in 1960s London. That's super funny. It's like All the right, save so... Ferris of the 60s. They're like Frodo lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, uh, so like this is this is kind of like the start of you know you know like D and D, and then you know yeah. all the stuff that spawn like spun out of that video games, right. fantasy kind of mm. crap, playing playing games that way. So if you're if a fan of any of that, this is like an absolute must watch, and it's also just as movies, they're great, they're great fun, they're they're huge adventure, feel good fun time movies, <laughs> you know, like they're huge popcorn movies, and they're great. Yeah. So we're all 100% on the same level. Uh, Yeah, they were published in the UK in the 1950s. A court ruling determined in the 60s that uh, nothing could stop an American publisher from publishing them uh, without permission. Oh, Oh, snap. Yeah. Did he still get royalties for them? I don't know. 
But Ballantine Books started publishing them in the early 60s, and they didn't hit the New York Times bestseller list until the ni- until 1965. Wow. Brutal. Okay. All right. So we've got Tyler with an 8.5. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good review. It's a good review. Uh, I, I'll go next. I absolutely loved these when I was a kid. They were probably my favorite movies for a good chunk of years. As an adult, I can see some of the flaws, right? Like they're certainly not perfect movies. Yeah, I, I think I'm blown away that these movies worked. I'm I'm not yeah. sure. Hmm. So I think the the books are their own thing, right? Like I'm not I'm not here to review like the books and the story. I'm just talking about the movies. And I think what blows me away about the movies is that they should not work, right? Nothing about them <laughs> if you put it on paper makes me think that this is a good a good idea but they do and i think that they blend i mean they're not like high art in the most like snooty sense of that but they i think really effectively blend some some pretty serious themes and examine some really dark stuff but also blend it with entertainment value in a way that i really appreciate so i'm going to say i'm going to go right with tyler i'm going to say 8.5 i think is that the They're first not... time we had the same score on a movie? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I think, like, it's not Citizen Kane, right? Like, it's not, like, yeah. this perfect, untouchable piece of art. But it is, I think, maybe some of the most effective blending of entertainment and art yeah. that I have come across. And, and I really appreciate that. And from just, like, a production-level point of view, they stand alone, right? Yeah. Like, it's so yeah. hard to even touch any of that. Like we we've watched like super old movies before people cared about human life, and we're always blown away by like <laughs> the huge shit that they built. And that they have all these. What are you doing? Yeah, that Got they it. have like all these extras like risking their lives and yeah. stuff. And we never watched a Buster Keaton movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's something about old Hollywood where they would just build it because they didn't have like you know special effects that I think you can miss a lot in modern movies. And like I love this trilogy when they could defaulted back to yeah. like, well, let's just, let's build it or do it in, in camera. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, review. it really has a heart and a soul, right? Yeah. yeah. Like so many, it really feels like so many people put so much care into their individual like contributions to the movie. Right. And even watching behind the scenes, like you really see that, like people were right. into it. They loved yeah. what they were doing, whether it was the choreography or the costume design or even the casting. Like this was, people were in it. This was, they, I think people knew this was going to be, you know, something big. And and it was, it was absolutely massive. And I guess I'll, I'll just, yeah, we're just go, rolling right go to your review. Next. <laughs> That's cool. um, I don't want to go last though. You can go second to last. We can uh, have the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll go as the guest. I'll go last. Yeah. Okay. Because I just don't have anything profound to say, really. So I don't want to end on that. <laughs> I mean, neither did I. I was just like, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think from from what I understand, I actually went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. There are other film adaptations of the Lord of the Rings universe. Bakshi. And they, I mean, <laughs> I this is such the quintessential adaptation, like Peter Jackson's trilogy, right. that I didn't even realize that others existed until yeah. just looking yeah. things up for this. Well, I think it's just yeah. the one, right? And I don't even think he finished the trilogy. I think he just did one movie. I think there's I a handful, actually. believe oh, okay. there's like a Russian version that is oh, just okay. terrible. 
Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple out there that I saw on IMDb that did not look good. I, I do there's really want to see the Ralph the Ralph Bakshi yeah. one because yeah, that the looks... Bakshi one's interesting because yeah. it has a bunch of like rotoscoping and it's, it's... super seventies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus the man is crazy. Bakshi is a is a weird dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, there's also I know for the Hobbit there's that cartoon that came out in like the nineties or something like that. Um, which is, I remember seeing it as a kid, and it's not amazing. Okay. Um, but but yeah, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy is is like the it's the 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 adaptation that brought Tolkien to right like the masses. I think right even even beyond. I mean, I, I think his books definitely hold on their own, probably more so. You know, this was huge and became an absolutely massive franchise. Right. Um, so you got to see them, right? <laughs> They're so culturally significant. You just got to see them. You got to see I will say them. it's the rare adaptation that I feel like can stand sort of shoulder to shoulder yeah. with the source material. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they were each so important in their own times. Or, or maybe that was just because we grew up with them, but that's how it feels. Right. And, you know, that is a caveat that I will say is I saw these in theaters with my dad as a kid and right. was absolutely in love with with the, the the universe right um so that is yeah that might be coloring my my rating here uh, a little bit but yeah i mean i think I, I agree with what you guys have said i also you know see a little bit a little bit of the pieces where it kind of fell apart um and it's showing a little bit of age but it's it still works for me and so i'm also going to give it an 8.5 whoa oh my god <laughs> three in a row yeah um one uh, one last thing i'll add is this is my first time seeing the extended cuts and mm. i do think they worked i almost wish there was a extended a little bit cut right because <laughs> <laughs> i think that there were some scenes that really added a lot of context that i i missed from the theatrical version and some of the more indulgent ones i really enjoyed having like that extra but it was also a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Okay, it looks like I, I, I'm i going next. Oh, I just okay. I just want to say real quick, I thought it was hilarious. And maybe it was just me because I'm, I'm dumb like that. I, I feel like a lot of the cut scenes had to do with pipe weed. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a good yeah. amount of like people like mention like, oh shit, we got some primo pipe weed here, man. This or... might be something Steven needs to settle. So Tyler and I were debating about <laughs> this. I interpreted pipe weed as as a stand-in for tobacco. I understand it's just its own plant in Middle Earth, but I didn't see the metaphor of it being marijuana, as I think a lot of people take. I could be this wrong. Is, so this this plays into, again, my misidentification of the 1950s as opposed to 1960s. It is generally thought by people who know Tolkien that this is absolutely a tobacco or at least some sort of not hallucinogenic you know, maybe you're getting a buzz, right? Right, but you're not getting high. Uh, but because Tolkien gets really big in the '60s and the '70s, people immediately associate it with marijuana. Kind of, it seemingly uh, tongue-in-cheek at the time, and then it never actually kind of goes away, and it actually kind of carries that forward. Mm. Which, because, because like nobody called marijuana weed, right, in 1954. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what I thought. And Tolkien smoked a pipe, from what I recall. Yeah, he smoked um, he smoked tobacco though. Right, yeah. but he smoked tobacco exactly. And I, and I know mm-hmm. you know that was really. I think the time, the so movies that... definitely play it like it's weed though. Thank Especially you. Especially that flooded yes. Isengard yes. scene. Yes. 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 
Cause they're they're like so excited to find it, like, oh fuck, and we gotta we gotta stash this right away, you know. It can't be. It says long bottom leaf. The finest pipe made in the south farthing. It's perfect. One oh. barrel each. Wait. Do you think we should share it with Treebeard? Share it? No. No. And some of my interpretation might be coming from my reading of The Hobbit, which I didn't feel like had any of that. And they talk about Pipeweed in that as well. This might also be, this is conjecture, but one of the reasons he doesn't call it tobacco might be because tobacco is like an Abenaki word or something like that. Mm. Mm. And he didn't want to use like, and, and first and foremost, Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings in the Silmarillion to give context to the languages he invented. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't think he wanted to include an Abenaki word, or it might not be the Abenaki, it might have been like the Pequot or something, sure. uh, but a, a East Coast Native American tribe from the 1400s, 1500s, I don't think he wanted to maybe include that word in a for an herb in the Shire. <laughs> Uh, you know, but that's, that's conjecture that people have wondered why he doesn't just call it tobacco. I mean, I, I get it's supposed to be like, you know, its own plant, right? But yeah, I always, Tyler and <laughs> yeah. I were debating about that this morning. All right, uh, Stevie, what do you got for us? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to do, I, I liked what, uh, Devin said about, I wish there was like a, a, a little bit of an extended, ver- like a, uh, a lightly extended version. Right. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I'm actually, I, I'd like to give different ratings for the extended and the normal versions. That's smart. Yeah. I think the normal versions, it, it, and I'd also like to completely colorize this as this is a drastic departure than what 18 year old Steven would have said. Right. But uh, obviously for all of our dear listeners, it has become apparent that I treasure these books and I, I know a lot about them and they definitely impacted me greatly when I first read them uh, and then when I watched the movies. I used to be a much more sci-fi kid. I was into Star Wars from an early age. I loved StarCraft. I didn't really care about fantasy stuff at all. And then I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and I watched the movies. Uh, Sci-fi almost fell to the wayside as my interest as like a teenager um, because of these movies. So being objective is going to be difficult. What I'm going to say is that I also have an appreciation for history that kind of, I think, colors my perspective here, too. And I see the Lord of the Rings trilogy as our generation's Star Wars. We saw them all when we were pretty young, informative, Mm. except for Jackie. Um, (laughs) And they were a trilogy. They were um, an enormous part of the zeitgeist. They kicked off a trend of imitators trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again for the last 20 years. Yeah, and going off of what Matt said too, the Lord of the Rings wasn't the books weren't supposed to work. Right, they were children's books written for adults. Yeah, yeah. is how they were looked at at the time. Uh, and against all the odds, because of the themes and the narrative, and maybe the mystery, maybe the magic, maybe the fantasy, maybe the spectacle, maybe all of it in some sort of uh, heady mixture, uh, it it captured people's attention. Uh, of a certain genre the books did and that's where the movie i think warrants extra praise is it made fantasy cool for everybody i don't Mm. know it's the first ever fantasy best picture oscar Mm -hmm. oh really didn't know that the return of the king 
I don't know if Harry Potter would have been as big if the foundation for uh, the Harry Potter movies were coming out simultaneously, but I still think that the Lord of the Rings movies engendered people to give the Harry Potter, older people to give the Harry Potter movies a chance because a lot of adults weren't reading those books, but a lot of adults were watching by the seventh movie. Uh, So I think just for those cultural touch points and the role it played in the early aughts all the way into the 2020s, and not go and I'm not even going to go on like the merits of how I think the films were made or uh, I'm not going to nitpick things that I disagree with how they were made. The original trilogy, as it came out for people who need to see movies or want to see movies that were defining and illuminating for historical trends for literally decades afterwards in film, books, games, television. I'm going to give the original Lord of the Rings trilogy a 9.5. Woo! Yeah. Coming yes. in hot yeah. with his first app. Yeah. You're making a good the, argument for it. I, yeah. I agree the with extended you. edition. Oh. <laughs> a, a younger Stephen Howard would have given a 12. Because <laughs> uh, it's just an more. older Stephen Howard more sitting through. I, 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 would, I would love to rate these by movie, too, because I actually really do think the Fellowship of the Ring extended edition was a better version of that film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that is not the that is not the only film uh, that was extended, and I right. think when you factor in some of the stuff that was added into Two Towers, it was a mixed bag. And when I think you factor in the majority of the stuff that was added into The Return of the King, it was a detriment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm only going to, if I had to recommend a movie version for somebody to just watch to understand the fad and the craze, I'd give it to them just like we got it our first round. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which means I'm going to give the extended edition an eight, noting that it is still a unique that had also never been done before. Yeah, right. yeah. And I appreciate the amount of work and care and time and love that was put into those, but I'm still only going to give it an eight. Yeah, wow. it's interesting that we probably wouldn't recommend the extended cuts to someone to watch this series for the first time. It's just and too yeah, much. That's exactly what we did to Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's like when people say, if someone wants to go to the opera for the first time, they always say Marriage of Figaro or La Traviata or stuff like this. And I'm like, guys, that is over three hours. No one's going to sit there for that long. Or five hours. <laughs> no, but there, there's a middle five hours. But there are operas that are 90 minutes. There are more yeah. people in mm. the pit than there are minutes in the show. Why are we yeah. not watching those for a new person? You know what I mean? So I think right. length does have something to do with it. It does make it harder to enjoy in some ways. All right, Jackie, bring us, bring us home. Bring it home. The I'm chooser. Be, she is gonna, the decider. You're the new be, person. You're actually the best person to end this. Yeah. I. Well, yeah. I. <laughs> I'm gonna do a Devin thing. Okay. Some fractions ooh, here. Ooh, um, I'm gonna go give it a seven point nine. Yeah, that's pretty good. Ah, okay. okay. Because for me, I think the closest I ever got to a ten was what did we watch? Something recently, I can't remember what it was. You gave something a 10 recently, right? Silence of the Lambs, I gave a 10. That's right. I'm having an old friend for dinner. And I think, <laughs> if I think about that, which, Matthew, I think you you were saying that it was the best possible sort of like crime drama that there could be, but that you were sort of concerned, I think, about content. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? What I said about Silence of the Lambs was that it was perfect execution of entertainment, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of art. Yes. Like you were, you were saying it didn't 
elevate itself above the procedural crime drama. Right. It is a yeah. crime drama. It is like a mystery crime drama, and it executes on that perfectly. But I don't feel like it's trying to say anything transcendent about the human experience or anything. I I, I disagree with that at the time, but I think it, I, I would borrow pieces of that argument here because I, I felt like these were... I wanted a little bit more high art in there. And the moments when I got it was mm. that med that addiction allegory, um, just something a little bit, you know, the, the feelings that I had at the end of the show, I'd wish those had been, I guess they'd been developing throughout the trilogy, but I wasn't sort of aware intellectually of that kind of struggle. So I guess I right. would have wanted a little more meat to chew on in that regard. Cause it was there and I'm sure it's there in the books. Um, and, and, and when you read, you control the pace of how you're, taking in information right. so you can go back and, and we did i mean times. we sprinted through these three movies you did yeah, not I think have that a lot was good. of time to like sit and stew on it no two but i think it was good nuts. yeah that's brutal that's <laughs> Jeff and i took two weeks yeah i fell asleep during the second one <laughs> you did <laughs> a lot of battles how could you fall asleep so it was the battle too that's what made me fall asleep is it was like we started it late it was like 11 45 and i've been watching like three and a half hours of this Boy, they've been battling for quite a while. <laughs> Getting a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was a little too entertainment heavy. Um, I really enjoyed them. I would watch them again, not the extended cut. But <laughs> yeah. I, I I, don't know that, you know, movies that I think of that really made an impact on me. Rashomon was one of them. Um, mm. American Beauty made a huge impact on me. Koyana Skatsi, that one as well. Um, I don't have that same feeling about these, although I did have some feelings. Um, so I guess like yeah, emotionally, it was it's not that it left me cold, but that I think the story is stronger than the film. And if the story weren't so great, even mm. if there were perfect execution, I don't know if it would be anywhere near as, yeah. as good. Yeah, I think I think that's really fair. Like, you know, I, in mine, I said that I thought it was a great blending of art and entertainment. But I definitely, even I will admit that I think the movie adaptations definitely more towards the entertainment side most of the time. Which is fine. Totally fine. Yeah. 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 But. You got to get that $300 million that they gambled. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> they got I it. I mean, they did, but they're great films. Everyone should watch them yeah. for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Stephen was saying too. The fact that the the books themselves were lightning in a bottle, like that somehow worked, and then the films did it again yeah, in a different right. way, is insane. Yeah. There has got to be kind of what Stephen and I were talking about. There has got to be a fan cut that's just I bet there is a little bit, yeah. Because right? <laughs> like, I feel like that would have, don't that get crazy. <laughs> just a little. This critiquing Tolkien though, and I know that we're critiquing the film right now, and and Stephen, maybe you'll get this because you're in a musical theater. It's like whenever anybody says something about Stephen Sondheim, whose music I don't love so much, I don't like Sweeney Todd. I'm like one of the ten people in I the world. That I don't. I don't like Sweeney okay, Todd either. <laughs> but like Assassins, great show. Company, great show. But I thought I, Sweeney you know, Todd was good. Huh? I just didn't. I thought I thought Sweeney Todd was good. I just didn't particularly like the music that much. I feel yeah. the same way about Wicked. It's fine. But like, I, I feel like whenever I speak out against Tolkien, I'm speaking out against like Sondheim, for example, which if you're into that world, saying that would be grounds for crucifixion. But mm -hmm. I, so I feel weird critiquing this grant kind I of think low that's... for that reason. <laughs> well, Tolkien, I think, to be fair, isn't the most accessible type of like storyteller you know so i think it's fair he literally literally chooses not to explain things yeah <laughs> so i don't think you're gonna get quite as much like flack for being like eh, not a huge tolkien fan well, you know i think you should be able to criticize anything you want as long as your points are valid because yeah. anything has bad things about it 
I can I can criticize the shit out of Tolkien if I want to. It's always you know you should always be weighing right. what's more important and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I I think the thing about Tolkien is that like he was the first mover, right? Like yeah. he broke through into this un like so much of what we understand about the fantasy genre today is defined by shit that he just made up, right? Yeah. right? Or heavily adapted, mm. and that's like that's what's interesting about Tolkien to me is not his ability as a writer, not his plotting it's his but world building it's his world building and his imagination yeah, yeah. sheer creativeness yeah you know yeah. i mean love actual languages yeah. actual yeah. languages full languages <laughs> at like yeah. for for an adult you know at that time in 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 history you know in british history you know that that early conservative kind of time period for him to be that creative and come up with that much cool weird shit you know the, the and just the amount of it is yeah impressive uh steven you want to hit us with a little elvish uh you know I, elvish i i don't know i can <laughs> tell you the names of two of the languages uh Quenyan and sindarin i can tell oh you the origin God. of them but i cannot uh, speak and actually hold on wait a i second. thought you were saying a little something oh my God. where's the exit hatch All i've right. got i've got the silmarillion Steve, right here so great <laughs> Oh, th- thank a you fantastic kitchen mat there oh man <laughs> all right tyler what are next you week, giving huh? to us n- next week slash several weeks ago yes oh you're, you're ruining it don't did, break no it. okay what, away, bud. say it all right, again all right i feel like we did at some point already lift the veil right no no no, no tyler no. earlier tyler <laughs> everyone's tyler shut up Pizza. what are you giving to us next Pizza. week <laughs> Well, so I kind of want to keep with the with the adventuring theme, right? But let's let's tone the scale down from this huge, epic, okay. sweeping adventure that involves yeah. nations and, and gods and whatever. Let's uh, let's bring it down to a a sleepy Oregon town. Uh, I'm going to do the Goonies. The Goonies. Hey! Hey! I am so surprised. Man. I am yeah. I... so psyched. I saw this movie as a kid, and I love it. So I'm so excited to watch this movie again. <laughs> This is one of my favorite childhood nostalgia movies of all time. I tried to make Jack really? watch this once. Yeah. And yeah. I fell asleep. I fell asleep <laughs> and I had to not finish the rental. It they was weren't terrible. even like in the house. They, they, they were still in the house. They hadn't even left the house yeah. yet. It was like, I don't know, 20 minutes in. Tyler, this I have is never such... seen the Goonies. You've never seen the Goonies? Holy I have shit. never seen the Goonies. Holy shit, dude. We I wish that we had known that. We would it, I wish we could go back in time and make you come to the Goonies episode. Well, see, you you can join us. Uh we just have a rule about guests, just like you can't do more than one right. in a row. Right. Have, Ooh, that's the trick. Wait yeah. one movie and then you can come back. It's know? not not because we are recording. <laughs> I thought we sense. were too. not because it already happened. Tyler, if I can make a prediction, I think you're gonna love this movie. It's just a very you think so? Tyler. It's true. Movie. It's a very Tyler huh. movie. Yeah, yeah. What makes it yeah. a Tyler movie? You think? You know, it's just it's it's, but it's not... stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid and fun. I it's think stupid right? and fun, yeah. which typically yeah. is a me movie, but this one feels like a Tyler movie. No, I agree. I, I think I'm gonna really like it. <laughs> I have a feeling that it's gonna be a really fun movie. The, the joke here, well, Stephen, if you can't tell, is that we've already recorded this. Uh, uh, yeah. You pick it up. Stephen's on, on his one week of probation, so he has to wait a week and then he'll come back. <laughs> All right. We should thank our guest and thank make you. our thank guest. You, Stephen. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. And make our guest. Thanks. Every guest has to tell us an embarrassing fact about themselves before they leave the show. <laughs> when are we doing? Since when did we start doing? That? Uh, is it like related to the the movie we watched, or just an embarrassing? Have fact you ever in dressed Didn't up as a Lord of the Rings character? 
Yeah, yeah, do you ever cause? No, I, just, he did. I showed I you guys. Showed us an embarrassing fact. <laughs> no, just like uh, I have fact. never, I have never cosplayed as a lord. I've never cosplayed. Um, I tend to keep my nerdiness. I think pretty, like yeah, locked yeah. away in a closet under a bed. <laughs> Nerd! You're you're pretty closet. Wait, a closet under a bed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's fucking deep. deep. It's, it's, it's fucking bed. deep. It's a Murphy bed. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have a lot of like really embarrassing Lord of the Rings stories you know besides Tell obviously owning a Tell us something about you that we don't know. <laughs> Does Matt count? <laughs> yeah, Matt counts. Well, that's gonna be that's gonna make it harder, right? <laughs> Matt, like, Matt is the embarrassing man, thing like, about you. Like I have never returned to <laughs> the library. The embarrassing time. thing about yeah. what if we you know Matt, Matt <laughs> tell us an embarrassing oh, thing about Stephen? <laughs> I'm friends with this guy named Matt, and that's real. No, uh, embarrassing <laughs> things about Stephen. He has mitten fingers. I do. There you go. Mitten yeah. fingers? Look at my mitten way. hands. They're fat little sausages. I, Look at them. The them. It, makes you uncom- it makes you uncomfortable watching him move, doesn't it? I, it kind of look like yes. It's hard weird. to tell, I think, I like on a video Stop like this. Stop it, Steven! <laughs> Listen, I'm not, I'm not wild about him myself. <laughs> well, how about this? Because I think we're. Str- it's going to be hard to get guests to tell us an embarrassing thing. Why don't... What is a gap in your cinematic education that you would one day like to see not the goonies Steven and I, um, talked about this. I never saw the goonies but <laughs> i don't think i need to see the goonies to like understand film i've always been no. really interested in there was a period in time in hollywood before they came out with like the rating systems and the standard the standard set and a lot of those movies i've always like uh pub the public enemy i think or whatever there's a bunch of movies that came out in that time period hell's angels and stuff like that uh that i always hear kind of harken to you know really really early hollywood days but they were also a lot more experimental i guess at the time Mm. probably isn't going to seem that experimental now because obviously we've blown past the restrictions of the, the 50s or whatnot but um I I I think I definitely would like to see some of those movies just to I like I like understanding trends. Mm. Yeah. Um and it's I think for pre-code. What? Yeah, pre-code. Thank you. Thank you. Um I think seeing some of those and then the hard reaction from them to like what you get in like the 40s and stuff would be would be uh illustrative. Mm. Very, very good. Cool. Oh, it's Frodo, and he's walking around. (laughs) He is walking up your (laughs) town. Up your town. (laughs) Hey, there's eagles, and they're flying down. They won't pick them up, because that's dangerous, I guess. (laughs) 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 Going to the mountains. Get rid of that ring. (laughs) Get rid of it. Throw it in in the in the volcano. Throw Watch it in it. the volcano. Get it, get it melted, melted down. I love the stamina. Should we stop? Goodbye, recording? everybody. We did it. Bye. We're fucking Goodbye. out of here. So do I stop the recording? Love you. Love you. I, I hit the. I hit the stop. Learning about movies. Learning about movies. Steven and I wrote a song together one time. We did.
We did. I can use a bathroom. I'll Simultaneously at the same time. I'll be there. Oh, yeah. Bathroom break's a good idea. I'm going to go do that. You didn't make that song up. No, that's not what we made up. <laughs>